this episode, Justice League America number 48 and Justice League Europe number 24, cover dated March 1991. Hello, and welcome to the 48th episode of Justice League International Bwahaha Podcast, a proud member of the Firewater Podcast Network. My name's Eardeal Shag, and I am your host, but I am not doing this alone, folks. Thankfully, I'll be joined by two fellow podcasters to help me cover these issues. We'll chat with my second co-host in just a little bit, but for now, my first co-host today is another international guest. And after all, the show is called Justice League International. See, it's, uh, it's synergy, people. See how that works? Now, today, I have brought in a guest all the way from Europe to talk about Justice League America. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't really plan that out very well, did I? Oh, well. Uh, moving on. So, my guest is a massive, massive Doctor Who fan and a fan of role-playing games, so much so that he's melded the hobbies into an idea for a podcast. Now... His tastes do leave something to be desired, though. You know, I've mentioned he loves Doctor Who, right? Well, his favorite Doctor is Sylvester McCoy. As much as I like that actor, he did get the show canceled for 16 years. Uh, He's also a big fan of Dune. Well, specifically the David Lynch film. Finally, he's also a big fan of General Glory. You see in a pattern here, people? Add it all up, and clearly there's no accounting for taste. Folks, please help me welcome Mr. Ryan Blake. Welcome to the New York Embassy, Ryan. Thanks for being here, man. How you doing? Hello. Yeah, other than the jet lag, I'm, I'm doing very well. Thank you very much for inviting me um yeah just one counterpoint i'm i said i have to make i'm not actually european anymore thanks to some uh, unfortunate people in my country not to oh. be political but i'm no longer european so uh yes I'm, I'm afraid i'm just british now been demoted fair distinction fair distinction yes it's uh, i love what you've done with the place uh, <laughs> well we've dressed it up special for general glory and uh for those of you listening i mean this is the july episode so we're celebrating july 4th over here so it's all flags it's all general glory it's uh it's all the time over here so i'm glad you're enjoying it well i mean two things one i also want to point out we're recording this on canada day just to make it even more international and secondly i would like to remind anyone in america that's listening that the uh, british government has kept the receipt so if we do ever decide to take you back into the empire just be warned we can foreclose at a moment's notice <laughs> i thought that uh there was like a 30 day you had to get that return within uh before it expired uh, okay well interesting so to know. it's a legal gray area i mean unlike yourself shag the united states is uh, redeemable. <laughs> All right. Well, before we take this too far, uh, England and America and Revolutionary War jokes, uh, we should take a second to thank our sponsors. Folks, this episode of the JLI podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping on orders of $50 or more. Now, each episode will select a collected edition to briefly discuss from the Instock Trades Library. Usually, it's tied into that month's JLI issue in some way, shape, or form. I picked Crisis on Multiple Earths Trade Paperback, Book 2, Crisis Crossed. Uh, and the reason I picked this, because it's got a whole bunch of JLA issues, right, where they team up with the JSA. But one of the issues, or one of the pairings of issues, includes the JLA-JSA team-up with the Freedom Fighters, where the Justice League's fighting Nazis. I felt like that was absolutely apropos, given the story that we're going to be covering today. All told, this thing has 416 pages. It's got tons and tons of JLA, JSA crossovers, which is always a joy. Uh, The writers include folks like Len Wein, Carrie Bates, Nelson
Jason Bridwell, Paul Levitz, and others. The art inside, you've got like Dick Dillon and Frank McLaughlin and Joe Giella and Dick Giordano. Lots and lots of amazing talent. The cover's by Carrie Gamble. It's full color. It's a soft cover. Normally retails for $39.99, but on in-stock trades, you can get it for 42% off. So it's only $23.19. That's a heck of a deal. Now, Ryan, all the cool kids uh, bring an in-stock trades recommendation. Did you happen to bring one? I did. I did. And in my ongoing attempt to prove to the world that I'm not cool, I have chosen the, um, <laughs> what is so far the only seventh Doctor, Doctor Who trade paperback ever to be released. I, again, I, I don't back ponies that are going to come in first. It's called Operation Volcano. And it's written by Andrew Cartmel and Ben Aronovich, who are two of the best writers for the TV show as well. So they've got pedigree. Um, the artist by Christopher Jones. And it's classic Doctor Who action with a modern twist. There's an unknown intelligence in orbit around the Earth. And astronauts are being attacked. And there is a terrifying and mysterious landing in the Australian interior. The future of the world itself is at stake. And countermeasures have been activated. Which, if you're a Doctor Who fan, you'll know what that means. And mm-hmm. if you don't know, I urge you to buy it. So this is the seventh Doctor and Ace, my favourite Doctor Who pairing, and this is Operation Volcano. Now, I admit I'm biased, but I love this story. And again, the seventh Doctor, also one of the few Doctors to fight the Nazis on screen. So it does tangentially tie in ah, to the that's Doctor fair. Story. That's fair. Remembers of the Daleks. That's right. Yeah. And also Silver Nemesis. So twice, technically. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Published by Titan and softcover format. Really good story if you like time travel and you like weird stuff going on in space. And if you like deserts, it's definitely the one for you. Oh, and also military haircuts. Can't recommend that enough for military haircut likers. <laughs> All right. And so, folks, this thing normally goes for $16.99, but you can get it for 25% off right now. It is $12.74. And man, let me tell you, I cannot endorse uh, Titan Comics, the Doctor Who line, strongly enough. I absolutely love these things. This is a great, great story. You're absolutely right. As much as I was joking earlier about Sylvester McCoy and Ace, he's one of my absolute favorites. I've got a you know Sylvester McCoy umbrella signed by the actor you know that I got when I met him. And so, yeah, I'm a huge fan and love this story. So, great pick. Absolutely love it. Oh, I'd so, just like to add that that's £10.29 if you're using Coin of the Realm. Uh, that's just a bunch of nonsense, you said. But that's fair. Whatever. You people over there, you do your thing, right? Eat some crumpets and drink some tea and do whatever you people do. So, perfect. Uh, well, I'll give you the tea. Crumpets, you're you're on the verge of crossing a line there. But the tea, <laughs> I will give you. I want some Jamie Dodgers. I'm all about the Jamie Dodgers. So. Then, then you're, you're back in the good books now. <laughs> instant karma. So, folks, for this and all your other trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. Now, folks, this episode is also sponsored in part with your Patreon support. Because, you know, running the Firewater Podcast, Network with so many shows. It requires a lot of online hosting and other services. And a while back, we realized we needed some help with some of the expenses. So we launched the Patreon and you folks really stepped up to help keep the network going. So if you're enjoying the JLI podcast, the best way to support the show is by visiting our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash fwpodcast, and consider supporting the Firewater Podcast Network. And in certain tiers, you'll be mentioned on your show of choice, just like these folks who asked to be recognized on the JLI podcast. Our thanks to Bill Beer, Chris Lewis, David Ace Gutierrez, DC Dave, Devin Clancy, George Van Note, Gore Tolton, John Coos, John Ross Haynes, Kevin Wetter, Mark Baker Wright, Martin Gray, Matt Ev, Maxwell Traver, Michael Crouch, Mike Zamkowski, Patrick McMullen, Roger Preeb, Rudy Castillo, Sean Ross, Superman Radio Revisited Podcast, and Tim Price. Again, folks, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash FW Podcast. Now, I need you folks to get out on the social media. 
All right. If you want to talk about this issue, you want to talk about Doctor Who, any of the above, I'm all game for it. Go to our hashtag FW Podcast, or you can tag us at JLI Podcast. And remember, it's all about building a community of online JLI fans around the show. Okay, and that's really what we're here for. We're here to celebrate it and here to come together. So, all right. Now, Ryan, I got to ask you, what is your personal origin story with the JLI? How'd you find the book? What made you fall in love? Um, tell me more. Um, just to be awkward, I technically have two origin stories with with this incarnation of the Justice League. So it like you had like a pre-crisis and a post-crisis origin? Well, yeah, I suppose. Technically, I did, yeah. I think actually, <laughs> technically, yeah, you could say that. So uh, as you can tell from my accent, um, I am from England. And way, way back when this was coming out, I mean, this variant, the, the, the Giffen de Matisse, New Golden Age, as I called it, uh, was coming out. It was not that easy to get the American format comics in the UK you usually had weekly reprints and a lot of the time they were not full color they were partly black and white and they were i suppose what you would call them letter we'd call them like a4 format they were they were bigger than the, the american standard format unless you had access to what was a fairly rare thing um, a, an actual proper comic shop and in those days you had one or two and it was forbidden planet mostly not to give them a free plug but it was that was the franchise you could get them from and you'd have to travel to london or at least i would have to travel to london so that was out of the question so it was mostly what you guys call newsstands we call news agents mm-hmm. and we were always a little bit behind they would come out monthly but it was always a bit of a gamble as to whether they would come out consistently or not so you could sometimes get the us versions but more often than not you get the reprints and so i kind of read jla or jli as it was at the time issue one as a reprint so it was the first like half of the issue and the backup story was usually like a batman or a superman something like that and i got that and and i have it's indelibly etched in my psyche guy gardner's feet on the desk in the first issue right 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 and whenever (laughs) Whenever I put my feet up on a desk or anywhere, for some reason, my mind projects those. I don't know what you'd call them. Guy Garner's like moon boots for his Green Lantern uniform. I would just they, that's the, they would have. That's about right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I can't, I, I, to this day, I can't put my feet up anywhere without imagining that. And so, <laughs> so I remember that. And I remember the issue, the UK issue ended with, I think it's Mr. Miracle going out the side of the Blue Beetle's vehicle. And, and I think, it, I think Jean Jean saying no killing. I think that's where the story ended for me, the first part. But anyway, spinning on forwards because it was they were hard to get hold of. My first clear memory of getting a proper US version of, of the Justice League of this era was the Escapist episode where Guy and Ice go on the date. And there's the giant, what would you call it, ice skating puppet version of Guy oh, Garner yeah. and the oh, yeah. fall down. He's got mm-hmm. now I remember this for two reasons. One, just because it was like I have discovered gold in we were on holiday somewhere in some some summer camp and some shop somewhere had it and I was like must have you know it was like the bit of Indiana Jones in Raiders of the Lost Ark where he's got the bit of sand and the statue and he's weighing it up you know <laughs> is this real is this booby trapped um, and I, I grabbed it and I, I, I purchased it and I, and I, I took it back to the, the where we were saying and I read it and and I laughed like a drain for hours I had no context for it because I hadn't had the issues before or anything like that but I knew the Justice League I knew all the characters you know I, I knew superheroes at the back of my hand but but getting hold of the comics like that was hard so I read it and I read it and I read it and I laughed like a drain 
I laughed so hard, literally. I put the comic down and was still reading it in my head and laughing. And my parents literally said, are you okay? <laughs> they, they, literally, they literally are. They were worried about me. They thought uh, something, you know, what's, what's happened? And, and they thought, do you need to see the doctors or something? Because, you know, you're just laughing so much. And it was just that, that it was just such a good uh, sort of uh, the occasion was so wonderful. Like I found this comic that was really hard to get hold of. I'd read it. It was hilarious. It was exactly what I remembered it being like, because I'd seen sporadic bits here and there. And and I, from that point on, I never looked back. I hunted down every issue I could get of this rum. And then the pre-crisis bit comes in. I had all the old sort of Gardner Fox ones, the, the sort of classic run of JLA. I got, a prodigious amount of those. I, I had an issue 14 once where they fought the Shaggy Man for the first time, which was my pride and joy for ages. And Justice League Europe was the first one of these types of comics where I was able to get it from the start pretty much all the way through every issue as it came out. I made a point of hunting it down because of that, because I figured I'm not going to be able to get all of JLA. I did eventually, but at that point, but JLA had just come out and I think it was issue six was the one on the newsstand for me. And I saw that and, and I just hunted them down. And so this really is like an origin and it's like a triple origin. You know, it's my origin for the JLA, my origin for the US format comics, and my origin for just ongoing, you know, quote unquote, proper American comic collecting. That's fantastic. And and I will tell you, the uh, the A4 size ones, the reprints you got in England, there's a listener who'll be very, very pleased to hear that because he was the editor on those. So uh, oh, fantastic. past guest of the show, Martin Gray. So yeah, that's fantastic. So, oh, and, and I should actually note, Glory Bound, um, of which we're covering part three, this was the first proper arc I was able to get hold of in the original format in real time. That's awesome. So it's sort of like Doctor Who. You know, you never forget your first Doctor. Well, you never forget your first storyline that you were collecting in real time. So absolutely. Exactly. All right, well, let's get into this, folks. So uh, if you don't have a copy of JLA number 48, shame on you. First of all, it should be in your long box. Second of all, you should have DC Unlimited or DC Infinite and be able to read it there. Or you can get on Comixology. You can buy the reprints. This thing is super available. So there's no reason. You just should be ashamed of yourself. But... Just to help you out, I will post a few images on our website at firewaterpodcast.com slash podcast. So here we go. It's Justice League America, number 48, published by DC Comics, cover dated March 1991. It's on the shelves January 15th, 1991. Cover price was $1 for shiny quarters. The cover is by Adams and Carl Story. Uh, Ryan, you want to describe the cover for us? Yes. So the first thing I noticed is Adam Hughes art, and it's it's lovely. Mm-hmm. It's really nice. They've made the 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 sort of the premise of the story as part of the title. It says Justice League America versus Das Uberbot, which I really liked. Just just a really nice central motif. And the thing for me is this cover is such a microcosm for this era of the Justice League. We've got. Uh, let's go left to right. So we've got Guy Gardner on top of Das Uberbot's head. He looks like he's having an amazing time. He's sort of happy and angry in that way that only Guy Gardner can be. He's hanging on for dear life. His ring is flaring up. He's about to do something dangerous. Below him, we've got General Glory, who's kind of poised for action, standing in Das Uberbot's hand, about to do something. We've got fire flying up through the middle. You see her reflection as well, which she's a model, so that makes perfect sense. She's about to do something, but not quite sure what. And she's looking at Guy, I think, quite suspiciously, (laughs) as usual. We've got Jean-Jean's over the Uberbot's shoulder. Again, I know Jean-Jean's reign, reign probably too strong. His tenure as leader is just frustration, Oreo cookies, and getting uh, having conversations with Elrond. <laughs> and and he just he's there and he's looking at his team going, what's going on? What are they doing? I know he's got a Martian brow, 
But there's this particular type of Martian brow that he has that's just perpetually furrowed and frustrated by what's going on. <laughs> and just looking at this, you can just tell he's like, I could probably take out this robot myself, but what are the rest of my team doing? Mm-hmm. And that brings us on to like Blue Beetle hanging on for dear life onto Ice's hands, who is hanging on for dear life onto Das Uberbot's other outstretched hand. Who she's looking terrified, Blue Beetle's looking terrified. And it's just it's just wonderful because it's just it's just such a mess. It's such a glorious mess. They don't really know what they're doing. You've got four characters there who should be able to annihilate this robot in seconds. And because <laughs> of this team, they just can't. And on top of that, my favorite thing, and I, I this may be me reading into it, I don't know, but my favorite thing about this is the way Adam Hughes has drawn the Uberbot. Mm-hmm. The robot to me just looks, he's either, well, doesn't have a gender, but it's either very, very sad or it just wants to be somewhere else. <laughs> and he's just got that look on his face that's just, I'm the best 1940s technology has got to offer and look at who I'm fighting. <laughs> I could be anywhere doing anything else. <laughs> And somehow it's still an impassive robot face. I just, I love this front cover so much. Well, being that we're looking up at him, yes, his straight across mouth, because of the curvature of the face, does look like a downturned frown. It absolutely does. So yeah, it does look like he's just sad to be here. That's fair. I hadn't noticed that part of it. (laughs) You're right. kind of Marvin the Paranoid Android. Yes. From Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy kind of feel to it, just slightly, just enough. I, I can totally see. I hadn't seen that until you mentioned it, but absolutely. And I totally agree with the microcosm of the team. It really is fitting. I mean, I, when other things, I don't want to reiterate what you've already said, so I'll touch on some other things. What really makes it stand out is there's this solid orange background, which makes all the colors in the front really, really pop. There's a, a cloud of destruction in the back, which also just adds some accent to all of it. The, the Uber about the face, it's, it's supposed to look like Hitler's face, guys. That's the way it's worked. He's got hair painted like Hitler, and they've given him a little hole where the nose would be, which is sort of representative of the mustache. And, you know, talking about Nazis shouldn't be funny. Talking about Nazis shouldn't be okay. But darn it, this is drawn really funny. I'm sorry. It is It is very humorous that they've taken this horrific <laughs> thing and made him look ridiculous and funny. And so that, that part, I just can't help. So my, my favorite part, though, you've already described it, is Guy Gardner. The pure glee on his face. He is mm. so happy. He's like, you know, hot damn. I'm in a fight and I'm fighting Nazis. This is the greatest thing ever. Uh, and then my second favorite is just the way Ice and, and, and Beetle are holding on for dear life. I love all of this. You said the skies are orange in this, and, and I think that's a, a good spot. And I was just thinking, during Crisis on Infinite Earths, the skies are all red. Yes. Is it orange in this? Because things are bad, but they're not that bad. No, no, not at all. It's, <laughs> uh, honestly, it's simply a colorist choice to make all the other colors pop. But uh, but you could say, you know, it's, uh, well, you know what, when we get into the issue, I think we'll find out that this robot isn't really that much of a challenge for them. So I don't know that it's really that bad. Uh, now, some websites do claim that this cover is an homage to All-Star Comics number 43. But personally, I'm not sure about that. If, if you Google it up, folks, All-Star Comics number 43, it's got the JSA fighting a giant robot. I mean, there's certainly some similarities. Absolutely. But it doesn't seem like a one-for-one homage. It just seems like a giant robot. So I, I don't know. You, you'll have to make your own decision on that, folks. Well, let's get into this. So plot is by Keith Giffen, scripts by J.M.D. Mateus. Penciler is Linda Medley, and inker is John Beatty. But there is a five-page, five or six-page uh, flashback with General Glory, and those scenes are actually drawn by a different art team of Paris, Cullens, and Dave Elliott. We'll talk more about that in a bit. Lettering is by Bob LePan. Colorist is Gene D'Angelo. Assistant editor is Kevin Dooley. And the editor is Andy Helfer. The name of the issue is The Last Giant Nazi Robot Story. (laughs) Uh, Ryan, if you want to start us off with a recap. 
our story opens following Schmidt, the very old Nazi scientist and arch foe of General Glory. He's traipsing through the jungle of South America, searching for his old Nazi compatriots who are hiding in an underground bunker. The geriatric Nazis want little to do with Schmidt. They are happy with their comfortable lives living in their South American bunker in exile. However, Schmidt is obsessed with destroying General Glory and remotely activates a decades-old Nazi superweapon hidden underground near Berlin an enormous flying robot painted to resemble Adolf Hitler, an Uberbot. The European embassy of the JLI gets the call, but are shorthanded. Besides, Uberbot is soaring through the skies heading straight for New York City. At the JLA embassy, Martian Manhunter, Guy Gardner and General Glory are arguing about the General's comic book backstory. This prompts the Martian Manhunter to read directly from the comic book. All right, so this is the part where we're actually reading pages of the General Glory comic book from the 1940s. It is entitled, The Origin of General Glory. The story begins in World War II in a small town in France. There we meet an American soldier named Joe Jones, the only survivor of a Nazi attack using experimental gas. Joe sees a vision of Lady Liberty herself, the literal Statue of Liberty. She grants him astonishing superpowers to represent her light in the world, to stamp out and destroy tyranny. Now, by reading her oath, he's transformed into the superhero General Glory. Now, the general is very active during the war, reporting to the CBI chief Newkirk Sharp. The general fights the Axis powers on the front lines and at home. He also takes on a teenage sidekick, whose name was Ernest E. Ernest, who fights uh, alongside him as Ernie the Battling Boy. Now, uh, after finishing the comic book, uh, General Glory himself explains what happened on the last mission that he can remember. It was during the last days of the war, he was heading to destroy a secret Nazi installation in the Arctic. Just before leaping from the plane, his boss, Newkirk Sharp, gave the general an injection to counteract the cold. The general also said goodbye to Louise Lippincock, who was a reporter that had stolen his heart. Now, after the general parachuted out, he saw the plane explode. In shock, the general lost control of the parachute and sank beneath the Arctic waves. From then on, he was simply regular Joe Jones with no memory of his past and no powers. And as he grew old, some of the memories began to return. Now, interestingly enough, and, and this actually happened earlier in the issue, but I reference it now because of what we just read, uh, we as readers were shown some mysterious scenes earlier on that took place in present day featuring the geriatric Newkirk Sharp and above his desk was a giant portrait of Louise Lippincock and we also saw the middle-aged Major Ernest uh, both seem bewildered by the news of General Glory's return. Back at the New York Embassy, the enormous Uberbot attacks. Schmidt remotely controls the robot from South America, while the JLA tries to stop the destructive Uberbot. Martian Manhunter rips off the robot's arms, while Guy Gardner delivers the knockout blow. Amidst the rubble and destruction, FBI agents arrive to arrest General Glory. Next issue, the mystery deepens, or maybe it widens, or maybe it thickens. <laughs> All right, so a lot to uh, a lot to unpack here, man. A lot of story going on. So, Ryan, why don't, you know, why don't you go through some of your notes and tell me your thoughts? Well, it has one of my favorite openings to a, a Justice League comic, just because one of the beautiful things about this run is how it it uses superhero tropes and admires them and, and it undercuts them without undermining them. We've got this sort of boys from Brazil, you know, um, ex-Nazi traipsing through the jungle. Um, he finds the secret elevator and this this big portentous scene where you've got all these hidden um, Nazis in South America and they want nothing to do with him. <laughs> There's, they, they just do not care. It's like, let's just retire, okay? We lost, okay? We were wrong. You know, one of my favorite bits. Heinrich, my old friend, you don't understand. The time has come, but I just took my laxative. <laughs> Brilliant. 
you know, I don't do it justice, but it's just, it's a masterpiece of comedic timing. And it doesn't take away from the menace as well, which is good because it's really important just on, on every level. Yeah. And then this is part three of five. So it's the middle part. So it's got a lot of donkey work to do with establishing basically what's going to happen next and how we got here. And then we've got general earnest. And then we've got the really clever thing is it, it's, this came out in 91. So the Berlin Wall had only just fallen. Right. So yeah. They, it, they actually not make a nod to that. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, which is a really good counterpoint because it's, it says about the chimes of freedom are ringing for the first time in over 40 years. And then you've got the last giant Nazi robot story. Just again, you've got the, 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 the sort of heartwarming stuff, the, the touching stuff. And then you've got this ridiculousness right in the middle of it. And you You've got this German guy as the robot flies up saying, I've got to be kidding. And it's just, it's, it's really, it's really, really great. And then we we get to the London embassy, like you said, and we've got, it's Ralph's wife, isn't it? Yeah, that's, yeah. that's, well, it's, it's interesting because they've got to deal with two women in plain clothes with black hair, but they do it just fine. Cause you know, it's Sue who's got a great expression on her face and then they give Catherine her giant big hair. So that's how you can quickly distinguish them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's a, it's a really nice counterpoint because you've got Sue looking really, really frustrated by, she's frustrated by the plot already. Giant Nazi robot. Oh, but you but you never know. It could be serious. <laughs> I got to say, the, the reactions towards the giant robot stuff is hilarious throughout the whole issue. I mean, everyone is just so blasé about it because, you know, the, the whole giant robot thing has been so overdone. They just they can barely even consider it a real threat because it happens all the time. I love those bits. And, and, and again, it doesn't take away from the threat in so much as it points at the ludicrousness a little bit. I mean, yeah, good. Let them handle a giant robot for a change. Wait, I didn't tell you the best part. It's a giant Nazi robot. You knew. I was joking. I was joking. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, 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 the dialogue here is, is so good. I, and you, you were telling me before that a lot of people don't like general glory. Let's address that real quick. I was discussing it off the air. So what the deal is, and, and you guys listening probably already know, we've talked a little bit about it, is the general glory storyline doesn't have a great reputation amongst JLI fans. Some people felt like they jumped the shark. Some people felt like uh, it went on too long. Some people didn't like the focus being taken away from the, the normal JLA members and it being focused on General Glory. Some people didn't like the art. There's a lot of reasons people weren't thrilled with this storyline. So for me, I haven't reread it in 30 years. So it's a it's a re-examination of the, of the General Glory story to see, you know, does it deserve the reputation it has or is there more here? And so far, the first two issues were really good. I mean, the first one was absolutely delightful. Delightful. The second one was pretty good. It wasn't as strong. It was pretty good. This one, you know, we'll give our verdict at the end, but I, I, not to show my cards, but I really, really like this issue. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> Me too. The the thing is, I mean, I think it was in a weird way, it was a bit ahead of its time. Now, if, if you wrote this story today, don't you just feel like General Glory it would turn out General Glory has got PTSD or, or he, he, he was part of some sadistic government experiment and it turned him into this super soldier and they gave him this false memory and all that stuff? Well... I, I got to say, you know, I, I don't know how the story ends yet. And there is something in here. And I, and I don't want any spoilers, people. Don't tell me. I want to find out as I read it. There is some stuff that does make me worry that some of that's coming. And I know I interrupted you, but, you know, frankly, I don't care. So um, because, <laughs> you know, they, they introduce us to the modern day New Kirk Sharp, which was his boss, and the modern day Ernie. And there's hints of them being really unhappy that General Glory is back. So it makes me wonder if General Glory's memories of this golden age are wrong. And maybe it's a whole different thing. I'm actually kind of sad. I don't want to find out that Joe Jones is crazy or wrong or he was been, he's been tricked because he's genuinely a nice guy. He's not sat- syrupy and sappy to the point where I don't like him. I actually am cheering for him. So I'm really hoping there isn't going to be a big reveal like you just suggested of some sort of you know horrible past that he doesn't remember. But- but please continue with whatever you're rambling about. 
I, I was being very articulate, I'll have you know. <laughs> I couldn't um, tell through the British now. <laughs> it's just, we, we just, we naturally sound like we're saying something very important, even if we're talking nonsense. So I can feel it. <laughs> I not, because I, I, I'm a fan of this podcast as well. I did not read part four and five because I want to listen to the podcast on it. It was, so it was, you know, I've read parts one, two and three again. So I don't know that. I'm just saying if, if you wrote it again now, I feel like that would be how they would do it. Yeah. General Glory is so completely earnest. You know, he's not naive exactly. He's literally cut and paste from another time. And that's where the humour comes from. And he's so... I'm trying to think of a word other than just saying good. He's just so outstandingly decent mm-hmm. and old fashioned, but he's not. They very cleverly don't put in any of the dodgy parts of being old fashioned, if you see what I mean. Yeah, he's not, absolutely. He's not sexist. He's not racist or anything like that. Well, I mean, he literally is the sort of Joe Simon, Captain America from the 40s mixed with Billy Batson Shazam, really, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, it's an idealized version of the good, the the good, the hero from the forties. I mean, it's the idealized version, not necessarily what really was there, but what, the way we want to remember it. Yeah, I, and it's just you know, I, I don't get how you can't just love this guy. I mean, I, I still don't get why Jean Jean's doesn't want him to call him Skipper. <laughs> I mean, I would let this guy give me basically any nickname because you'd know it would be coming from such a good place. But um, And then John John starts reading the comic. And the, here, here's the other thing that I really love throughout this whole arc is that General Glory can control Guy Gardner and make him a decent person without the need for him being smacked on the back of the head. Yes. And it's so much fun seeing him corralled because the other thing is, as hilarious as it is, it gives, I think it gives Guy a little bit more depth because it shows he's got a genuine moral core. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, Guy Gardner's character development has not been that large. I mean, we're, we're 48 issues in, and he's essentially the same guy he was in issue one. But the the oh, the development we've got is we've started to see a softer side of him with Ice in a relationship. We've seen him go to protect his teammates when the chips are down. And here, I mean, this is really the only third piece of development we've ever seen, which is suddenly there's someone in the world that he respects so much that he's polite towards, and he'll apologize. So there is progress for Guy Gardner's character and this is part of it and I'm thrilled they put it in here yeah it's it's one of my favorite bits I'm a very very old school Green Lantern fan mm-hmm. I love Guy in Justice League but I always thought he kind of got short shrift because they make him a bit is it well he is a caricature but he has to be yeah this is brilliant because this was also kind of like like you said he won't just modify his behavior it's like he knows what he's doing and saying is, a, is wrong and he shouldn't do it and this guy's the example of who he wants to be mm-hmm. what i really wish was and if all there wasn't time to do this but i really wish that guy gardner had been able to go on a date with ice when general glory's around just to see how that would have played out oh okay yeah you know because he'd have the angel on his shoulder saying guy come on no need for rude language etc right so yeah i just think that would have been really interesting to have that 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 kind of that 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 whole thing because he because he has the date immediately before this yes and and it would have been nice if they could have somehow worked in it wouldn't have worked in the arc but just that was just an idea i I always had but do you want to cover the the origin of general glory oh absolutely we should we can do that that's fine i absolutely adore that origin i think it's absolutely fantastic the art is amazing Uh, i'll tell you a little bit of history on that scene real quick so um we heard from dave elliott the inker on that we heard 
heard from him on Twitter, uh, specifically about that section. He and Paris Cullins created a, a series called Blazing Glory in the early 1980s. They did a story on an anthology called A1. And it was very, you know, sort of Kirby-esque, you know, 1940s Captain America stuff. So a couple years later at the DC offices, Andy Helfer said that he'd like Dave uh, to do something like that in the JLA. So he got Paris uh, Cullins and himself, and they did the 1940s version of the character. So that's how they got it. It was because they had done this previous story uh, called Blazing Glory. So I think that's fantastic. That's brilliant. Oh, that's I love that. And the art is very clearly a homage to like Golden Age Captain America. Oh yeah, Joe Simon oh, yeah. stuff. They even they even list cre- fake credits. So instead of Joe Simon, the writer's listed as Joe Mason. Uh, yes. Yeah, instead of Jack Kirby, it's listed as Fred Hoover. I don't get that, but it's a uh, it's uh, nice yeah. to, nice that they put fake credits there. I was going to ask you about that because I'd never heard of them before or since. So that's good to to know what that is. Because I I mean Hoover J Edgar Hoover, but that's not really a that's all I can you know or a vacuum cleaner. Like, I couldn't put the connection between Kirby and Hoover. Maybe someone at home is going to go, oh, of course, here's what it is. And, you know, please enlighten us. But I'm not I, I'm not seeing it. I was going to say Kirby Tech Hoover that can uh, suck up time and space. <laughs> but, yeah, the art is fantastic in this. And I love, I mean, I love the pacing of it, the language, you know, even the lettering. They went to the point in the, in the caption boxes to draw the first letter in those caption boxes, similar to the way they used to, where it's like, you know, it's a, it's a circle with the letters whited out. I, I don't know how to describe it. You just have to see it, folks. Yeah. But and I love I'm a sucker for the Statue of Liberty. Anything with the Statue of Liberty, I'm a, I am I am an easy mark for. So seeing the Statue of Liberty <laughs> here, you know, giving him a, a rah rah speech, it just it warmed my heart. You know, it really it made me excited. I just love the the I don't know what this should make me off as much as it did, but the the panel where uh, there's a German plane going over and it's dropping bombs, and the, this American soldier goes, "Run for cover! Those rioters are up to their usual dirty tricks." Uh huh. The thing that made me laugh was just the, the fact that he's complaining that the German air force are dropping bombs. He's like, "It's a dirty trick when the Germans do it." <laughs> It's just like, yeah, well, how, how dirty is that trick? They're flying above and dropping bombs. But but yeah, um, I, I love the sort of like the over-the-top caption boxes. But no bombs fall this day. Instead, canisters of experimental gas hit the ground. The latest brainstorm from un- Uncle Adolf's mad scientist. <laughs> I just love it. I love it so much. It recaptures that era so perfectly. It really, really does. I'm so glad that they um, they took the trouble to, you know, make the art so completely perfect. Uh, the Statue of Liberty, apparently, is also able to visit selective soldiers and give them superpowers as well. Right. Um, and she floats. So we still don't know um, what's under the under that dress. <laughs> well, she's, she's also drawn to look a bit like a statue, like she's made of concrete, but she's actually made of, like, copper. So I don't... Either way. Uh, yeah, her arm doesn't move as well, I noticed that even when spectral form her arm just is permanently stuck out right well she's holding up the torch the torch of freedom yeah. so that's important right well again one of my favorite things a silly little thing i love the fact that when uh, maybe there's some american historical etymology to this that i'm not privy to but the fact that when he turns from um joe to general glory the sound effect is skadoo <laughs> And I was just thinking, well, what does that mean? Like, is that like a play on Shazam? I mean, what skidoo? I could only think of like 23 skidoo. What, what is it? What does it? Does- I can only assume that's where they got it from, you know, because the, the, the sound effect noises, uh, oh, there's a term for it and it's escaping me at the moment. And someone just put it in the comments. Thank you for that. Uh, it, they're usually just a lot of fun. I mean, sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll purposely go out of their way to make them ridiculous. So I'm assuming this has got to be the 23 skidoo kind of thing. Yeah, I just, yeah. And then he's General Glory. He makes his amazing speech. And then there's a a one-page montage telling you exactly what he did during the war. He's lifting up tank. He's doing a um, How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. (laughs) 
Doctor Strange love thing. Well, he's, he's also fighting this, like, you know, Nazi skull-faced guy in a suit that looks like a fantastic supervillain. Like, I want to know his story. That looks great. Yeah, well, I mean, he's kind of orange and he's a skull. I mean, yep. orange head skeleton, maybe? I don't know what you I'm mean. not sure. But then you get to the Ernie stuff. Now, I did find it funny earlier you said that General Glory is so earnest. I don't know if that was an intentional pun or not. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but then you get Ernie E. Ernest. It goes by what? Ernie the Battling Boy. That is hysterical. That's perfect for Bucky, right? I mean, it's, it's, and of course, very conspicuously, he's got Guy Gardner's haircut. Yes. Yeah. Now, now, is that, I mean, that's got to be a retcon, hasn't it, for Guy Gardner's choosing a yes. haircut? Yeah, they, they don't tell us in this issue, but astute readers by this point would have picked up on it, absolutely. And they are going to tell us in subsequent issues that absolutely, as a retcon, that's why Guy Gardner has that haircut. It is a tribute to Ernie, because he always saw himself as General Glory's sidekick as a kid. And, and that's that's another brilliant, really subtle bit of psychology there, because Guy doesn't want to be General Glory. He wants to be alongside General Glory, mm-hmm. which again humanizes him more, and not to get too clinical, but makes him slightly less nuts. <laughs> Not to move away from that segment, but I love the immediately, immediately, the first thing Marsha Mayhunter goes the minute they leave that panel is he's right on the issue about child endangerment. He's like, you brought a child into battle in frontline <laughs> yeah. combat, which is hysterical. And then, of course, Blue Beetle points out Robin and uh, Aqualad and Speedy, but I just that... I literally laughed out loud when Marshman Hunter, you know, all this great bombastic origin, and that's the first thing Marshman Hunter points out. I know, it's brilliant. I just, when I read that in my head, it's like, I just thought Blue Beetle would have just like elbowed John in the ribs and John in the ribs and just gone, <clears throat> Batman. <clears throat> right, right. Batman. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but one thing I wanted to point out so the last page of General Glory's origin story, mm-hmm. okay, the last panel. Look at the expressions on the faces of General Glory and Ernie Battling Boy. What the heck is going on with their expressions? What Ernie just looks psychotic, and General Glory, I don't know what that look is supposed to be. Well, I, they're leaping into battle, so I just see that as General Glory's probably shouting some sort of, you know, warning to a Nazi, like, you know, put that gun down, Nazi, and then Ernie's just super excited to be jumping into combat. That's how yeah. I see it. I guess they are alarmingly excited in that last panel. That's yes. what I'm going to say. Yeah. <laughs> We've got the, yeah, the huge con- contrast between DC who are okay with teen sidekicks and Marvel who have teen superheroes but not sidekicks weirdly enough like I said the Blue Beetle showing that he's got some intelligence using words like dirigeur as well which I thought was really good but he read, um, it, in, he read it in a book once though he read it in a book once <laughs> yeah it's just Blue Beetle constantly probably the smartest guy in the room who isn't Martian and just not letting people know he lets it slip out sometimes yes and, and this is not my Bohaha moment, but this is one of my favorite panels, so I think it's okay to mention it. What about this comic book general? How is it that comic books are the only way we've ever heard of you? It was my cover. Yeah, it was his cover. Guy Gardner says, <laughs> you see, Skipper, the boys in Washington wanted me kept under wraps. I was America's secret weapon, answerable only to the top brass. Yeah, he was top secret. <laughs> and like Guy just turns into a little kid at that yes, moment. Yes, he does. I love it. You know, and that, the way they've drawn him. Oh. He's essentially Ernie at that point. But that yeah. panel got me wondering. So, okay, so General Glory's fighting in World War II, right? Did he know the Justice Society? Did he ever encounter them? You know, why was he kept a secret if the public was cheering the JSA? You know, now maybe this is going to be explained the next two issues and part of the reason I'm even asking these questions is because I like taunting uh, our listener Tim Price because right now he's going crazy wanting to <laughs> spill all the answers right now but he knows he can't so uh, have fun with that Tim oh lovely yeah because I, I like I said I haven't read on because I didn't I want to hear yep. about it but fantastic use of the word hooey as well if the hooey fits uh, right yeah. right so good so good but it's um now he does call fire little lady but the thing is 
it's just respectful you know it's not meant to be patronizing i just and the way he looks down the sort of like general even general glory's angst moments are still like so four color <laughs> square jawed yes you know oh dear and then and then we've got more of a flashback to his um, vaguely similar origin to Captain America. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's definitely going in the ice, but this is also what gives me pause and makes me wonder about the future. Because, I mean, they purposely say they give him some sort of injection, and right after he gets the injection is when he loses all his powers, it's when all this stuff happens. So you got to think, uh-oh, maybe this, uh, this guy, Newkirk, uh, gave him an injection of something bad. And then you see his boss with Louise Lippincott, and then earlier we saw a giant portrait of Louise Lippincott above his desk so I mean clearly clearly his boss and the girl end up together so uh, I don't know I, I'm really hoping that uh, like you said the general's just so likable I just want a good story for him I don't want to find out that you know they were they were doing all these terrible things to him or he was just nuts I don't want that to happen no me neither me neither I'm choosing conspicuously to believe that it is all above board there we go you know um, until now but and then we're interrupted by Das Uberbot and John Johns has got the best reaction to a giant Nazi robot I think ever where he just says oh please not a giant robot anything but another giant robot <laughs> I, oh dear it's brilliant and and of course Blue Blazes Blue Blazes Skipper that's not just any giant robot that's an Uberbot <laughs> well I, I love also he, I mean, he, he says things like stars and stripes as if you know some sort of you know exclamation of like stars and stripes oh no you know he, he uses that kind of stuff throughout it's hilarious I, I would love to know if he used to if that's some side effect of the superpowers he was bequeathed by Lady Liberty or whether he spoke like that normally anyway hmm. you know there's an extra an extra side bonus you don't just get powers but you get a whole new line of safe expletives that involve right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the sad part about the Uberbot is, you know, he's on the cover. He's this major threat. He is literally handled by Guy Gardner with one punch. Uh, and that takes the robot out. He pump, he bonks him on the head and it is over. So it's it it feels a little bit like there's uh, a giant threat that gets handled a little too quickly. But I suppose at the same time, you know, we we got some action. We got some laughs. We got the, we got a, the full gamut of stuff in the issue. So I guess I shouldn't complain. Yeah. And, and it's a narrative hook for, frankly, hilarious conversation. Let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah. You know, feel a bit sorry for fire and her powers having no effect on it at all. But uh, because it occurs to me that she fires at it once and then just flies around it a bit. And that's it. That's all she gets to do, which is which is a shame. But and again, Jean, for some reason. Now, I have a theory that the word skipper in Martian is a huge insult. <laughs> I think skipper must be Martian for, you know, somebody who ate my pet dog or something, you know, because he really seems to object to it. And it's like, Jean, he's showing you respect. Skipper's a good nickname. Skipper means boss. You're in charge. You've part of Guy Gardner for 48 issues. Sorry. And um, he gives you nothing but grief blue beetle is nothing but flippant booster gold is nothing but flippant and this guy gives you a nickname that says you're in charge i defer to you and he so objects to it do you think do you think he's just so used to flippancy that he thinks even if it's not a martian swear word that the general glory has discovered irony and sarcasm somehow since being thought out. <laughs> I think with John, you know, first of all, we're looking too deeply into the the logic and reality of a sitcom to, to really explain. Really, it's a punchline that they just get to keep reusing the joke. That's why it's really there. But if you really <laughs> want to dig deeply, yeah, it's probably that, you know, it, it's it's a term of respect that's too casual for Marsh Manor. It's like, you know, my name is John. My name is Marsh Manhunter. My name is not Skipper. Uh, 
Uh, I do not see the reason to call me that, and that's probably where the line should be drawn. But reality, again, it's just for a laugh, and I think we're digging too deep on that one. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. It's just the way my brain goes. But I just, it's just he objects so much to Skipper. I just yeah. felt, you know. Well, it's also, uh, it's a little, maybe it's a nod to Perry White. You know, don't call me Chief. You know, that oh, was his thing be. for a long. Could be. But I, I got to go back to Fire for just a second. You mentioned Fire, how um, you know what she did in this. She gets one of the best lines in the fight. Uh, General Glory's leaping around. He's got this massive word balloon. He's leaping through the air, and he's like, "I must time my leap perfectly, just to jump free before guy's power ring." You know, blah blah blah. blah. It goes on and on and on. And Fire just goes, "I don't get it. How does he say so much while he's jumping around like that?" That's Which cool. is hysterical. I love them calling that out because a lot of times in a comic book, you get a giant word balloon in a segment, you know, in an action piece where you're like, "No, that character spent maybe one second doing that action. How do they get out?" You know, a full sentence of twenty five words so i love her calling that out yeah and also just in the same panel the fact that guy when he does he's, he's ironic i don't know if this is basic irony or what or a callback but guy got another one punch knockout yep yep um where he just says but for the glory of glory i'll give her my best shot and i just thought <laughs> Mwah, the glory of glory i love it so much oh dear then there's another bit that makes me laugh so last issue uh we questioned why shiloh norman the new mr miracle was in that issue because they made a big deal about shiloh being in that issue and in this story he only appears in like one or two panels so we still don't have an answer if shiloh is critical to the story or not and why he got so much real estate in the previous issue but i love the way they do incorporate him in this one so all this destruction is everywhere the robot's been defeated and general glory's bemoaning all the damage he's like you know, look at the damage this fiend has done to your embassy and shiloh comes out and he's like can a guy get a little shut eye in this place and the general <laughs> says not to mention young shiloh's nap time and it, I, it's just a throwaway line but i genuinely laughed really hard at that line it's it so made me good. laugh and, he, and and the, the the brilliant thing is as well again it just points to general glory's earnestness like another comic or another character might have berated shiloh saying we were fighting a giant nazi robot where were you why weren't you fighting alongside us and he just goes no he's a young man he needs his nap time right he's, right he's so good so also just pointing out on the same page yeah i think you struck the nail on the head there because general glory calls jean chief you know, because he knows he doesn't like Skipper, so he's you know, he's a good guy, so he changed it. He says, well, Chief, Chief? He still doesn't even like that, you know? The thing is, Martian Manhunter is quite a mouthful to call out during a fight. Yes, it is. You know? You could say yeah. M.M. or Jean, but yeah, that's that's about yeah. it. Yes, and then we've got the aftermath of the battle. I love the crumpled Uberbot in the background. Yeah. It's just brilliant. It's like it's like it's origami or something. It's folded directly downwards. Accordion style. Yeah, it's yes, very that's it's been the accordion. Word I was for. Very yeah. good. Yeah. And and this conversation general, supposing this evil eye is real. Of course he's real. He must be a very old man, even if he's alive. Of course he's alive. Don't interrupt, son. I'm just trying to help. Yeah. It's just oh guy's turned into a seven year old, without a doubt. In a weird way, this is my favorite guy. Okay. Because he's funny, he's still a jerk, but he's really trying to be a good guy no pun intended uh you know actually pun intended i know people don't like general glory and i know you couldn't do this as an ongoing basis but if general glory had been a bit more popular a guy general glory four six issue miniseries by giving him to matthias could have been chef's kiss really oh my gosh it would have been hysterical absolutely it would have been so much fun and and then of course it ends with the 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 total sucker punch of the fbi arresting general glory and just the look on this last panel again summarizes this area of Justice League for me. General Glory saying stars and stripes, his hands on his chest, looking genuinely heartbrokenly distraught. Guy looking like he's in a psychotic rage. How dare you do this to my hero? And John just looking so frustrated. Like there's the other shoe. It's finally dropped. 
I knew it was coming. I knew General Glory couldn't be on the level. Here we go. It's mm-hmm. the Justice League. Absolutely love it. That's uh, a fantastic way to end. And I hadn't even noticed the hand on the chest until you pointed it out. Yes, it's like, <gasps> me? Yeah. Under arrest? No. Exactly. So, yeah. Oh, dear. There, there's so many great art touches. And that's what I want to transition to next. Like, on the same page, in the foreground, never discussed, never mentioned. So I don't know if this is a Linda Medley thing that she slipped in. Because I think she slipped in a few things here. But there, there is a shot of, I assume, Scott Free. Uh, must be Scott Free, I would think, who has got his arms full of dog food, all kinds of pet food and all this stuff, because, you know, General Glory's now brought a dog to the yes. MC. And so I, it's, it looks like Scott is probably the one who went out and bought all this dog food for the, which is hilarious. Earlier with the same dog, there's a scene where everyone's talking, and just because they're being funny, Fire and Blue Beetle are goofing around while General Glory's telling his bit with her fingers. She's making like a fake little domino mask for the dog, as if the dog's a superhero with a domino yes, mask. Fingers. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. I love these little nods that Linda Medley slipped in. They're hilarious. And, you know, last episode, I, I was a little critical about some of the art in last uh, issue because some of the panels didn't look great. And this time, every panel is freaking gorgeous. I think it comes down to the inking. You know, at this point, John Beatty's inking just marries with Linda Medley's cartoony style perfectly. It really brings out all the fun. And when I say cartoony, I mean cartoonish in a good way, not like, you know, Popeye, but they bring, yeah. there's a cartoonish style. Yeah, here you go. Here's a great example. Look, look on page six, if you can. If you can go to there. It's a simple page. There's nothing exciting about it. It's just um, Ernie, all grown up as a major now, Major Ernest. And he's at this base in the Philippines. If you look at his facial expressions, him smiling when he's on the phone, looking shocked when he finds out General Glory's alive. His body language. He's just leaning on a desk, stirring his coffee. I mean, it's it's so simple. It shouldn't matter. But you think about the artistry that went into that. I mean, it's really exceptional. She's firing on all thrusters here. The ink firing on all thrusters. The thicker lines work better for her on the inking. I just love it. Going on what you just said, there's a better way of putting this, but just his body language that they've put into that art makes him three-dimensional. Mm-hmm. Makes him a fully realized person. And it's it's a page, you could do nothing with that page. No one would find fault if you didn't do anything much with that page. It's just a military guy having a cup of coffee on the phone, then he leaves in a hurry. And they put so much work into it. Do you think the Corporal Simon he refers to is a backhanded reference to the Captain America? Oh, it has to be. Absolutely has to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's another great panel to point out also just some of her amazing artistry. Go to page 19 if you can. And mm-hmm. it's it's during the battle with the Uberbot. And it, it's a single panel. Uh, it's the second panel on the page. It, it, and it's even all lit in one color. So you really get a chance to focus on the art. It is a drawing of Schmidt, uh, the evil Nazi, the old guy who's he's lit by the computer screen and he's controlling controlling the Uberbot, and he's just got such glee on his face. He's so happy to be attacking General Glory. You can see his eyes above his glasses, his eyebrows raised, the, the weird creaky smile, his fi- you know the creases on his fingers. It looks exceptional. It, she's a fantastic artist. I don't get the criticism where people weren't happy with the art in the book at the time. It's gorgeous. It's so good. It's so fully real. And again, the way they've lit it and everything, and it's the extra touches of putting those, those little extra bits of effort that make it pop, make it so real. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's so good. I mean, just like the the, the wrinkles on his hands, mm-hmm. the double chin. Yeah. You know, it's just, oh, I know it's, it's lovely. I don't, I can't find any, any fault with, with the art in this tool. One thing I want to point out on the last page, tiny little details. Yeah, it's got to be, I think it's got to be scot-free with the, the Bowser chow, the yuppie puppy and the pets are stuff. If you look in between fire and general glory, the dog is taking a whiz on the Uberbots. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my gosh, I never noticed that. Oh, that's hysterical. Yeah, yeah. and oh, then on the wow. far right of the panel, you've got Elron 
and Oberon just there in stunned silence, looking yes. up at what's going on, not saying anything. And you know it's got to be a hell of a sight if Elrond and Oberon are saying nothing. <laughs> That's true. You know, because these true. guys are usually the first with a quit. And I just, that panel, uh, if I could get that panel blown up, like A3, I don't know what you call A3 in America, but like big poster size, mm-hmm. I would totally have that on my wall because that's just so much fun, that page. <laughs> Two more art nods uh, and I'll wrap it up there. So going back, and this is just a simple little call out, but I thought it was very clever. Early on when on page five, uh, no, I'm sorry, uh, page four, when the Germans are talking and they're looking at the newspaper and it's they're showing the newspaper in the bottom right panel. It shows General Glory lives again. And you could easily just move past that panel without even thinking about it. But that panel is a purposeful recreation of the cover of Avengers number four. Oh, my word. Yes. Yeah. That's we're, we're, Captain America, isn't it? In it's Captain America. Instead of Iron Man bouncing in the air, it's Guy Gardner. And oh, instead of smokes. Giant Man, all, Giant Man, also known as Ant-Man, you've got Blue Beetle. So there's a little bit of a bug theme going with those two there. But yeah, it's absolutely an homage to Avengers number four, which was the very first re- issue where Captain America joined the Avengers. Yeah. This is a question, really, more than anything else. On the same page, mm-hmm. I've always wanted to see if anyone else has got any idea. He goes to the safe, yeah. pulls something out, mm-hmm. and there's a paperclip list of something yep and I, i've zoomed in as much as possible and it's just squiggles but i just wish i has anyone ever figured out what it might be well when we get to the next few issues we might but i'll tell you where my suspicion is the squiggles absolutely are you're not supposed to be able to read them absolutely you're right uh, again, I, I think we're going to find out some things about General Glory that it's not all what the general suspects because those look like comic book pages. Those are, and, and I don't mean like from a comic book, but the original art of comic book pages. Because if you look, you can see the hash lines on the top right hand corner. I mean, that's the way and, and the size of the way original comic book pages are when they're drawn. So I got to assume that's the original pages of a General Glory comic that are going to reveal to us some unknown secret of the general and he's going to find out and, you you know, it'll be disappointing for us because we love General Glory so much, but it'll reveal the truth. Once again, Tim Price is gnashing his teeth because he just wants to say what it is. So I think I'm going to have to refuse to read issues four and five. Of this. I don't, I don't want, I don't want to know if it's anything bad. Yeah, because this is like this is my favorite arc probably of this of this run because it's got such a soft spot for me. I just don't, I don't want to know if it's anything bad. So I'll listen to the podcast. So can you give me a warning if it is? Absolutely. I'll give you your own personal trigger warning. I'll say, yeah, don't please. listen to uh, coverage of issue 50 or whatever, or 49 or whatever it is. Perfect. I'll let yeah. you know. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, yeah. Overall, what a fun issue. You know, I, I absolutely love this thing. So all right, we, I asked the question every one of these General Glory episodes, you know, the General Glory storyline doesn't have that great reputation. Does this issue contribute to that negative reputation or is this a positive? I think we both pretty much answered that question. For mm-hmm. me, absolutely this issue is phenomenal and totally discredits the, the, the thought that the General Glory story isn't that great. What about you? I love this story. I love General Glory. I think it's one of those things. Now, I don't know if you have this in America, but we have something in England called Marmite. No, we don't. Uh, well, I mean, we probably have it in specialty stores, but I, I know where you're going. Go ahead. So, yeah. So basically, we have a thing. It's become like a vernacular thing. If something is Marmite, you either love it completely or you despise it. Okay. It's a binary iteration. It's you either adore something or you hate it. General Glory, this arc is Marmite. You either love it or you hate it, it seems. I absolutely love it. The thing is, this rum is about fun. It's it's hilarious. It, the podcast is called Bwahaha, so I'm going to go on out of limb and assume you're aware of that, uh, Shay. <laughs> so, I did pick up on it. <laughs> yeah, so you pick up, there's, there's a light motif going on there. This is just fun. This is just funny. Now, humor subjective, et cetera, et cetera. But if you've been reading it this long, 
I, I, there's a part of my brain that's just like, what were you expecting? Mm-hmm. You know? And I just, I love this. I cannot get enough of this, this arc. General Glory, I will freely admit though, is a limited run character. You, an ongoing character, he is not. But he fits perfectly to puncture the Justice League's, I don't know what you'd call it, not ego exactly, but he just punctures the, sort of the idea of the Justice League so beautifully. You know, this era especially, he's, he's again, he's just a little tweak. He's like, these guys are the Justice League. Now now deal with this. Deal with this thing that seems even more ridiculous. And I just love it. I, I, I can't say enough good things about this. Well, there you have it, folks. We adore this storyline. And, and I'm looking forward to getting to the conclusion, regardless of what the revelations are going to be. I, I'm thinking this is a, this storyline's a win. So, but now we have to do something very difficult, uh, Ryan. We have to nominate the Wahaha Award. This is where we nominate the funniest moment in the issue. Both myself and Ryan will pick one moment, and only one will be awarded the coveted Bwahaha Award. So, Ryan, you're the guest. So, what is your nomination for the funniest bit in the book? This was really difficult because I laughed all the way through this. But my favorite bit, and I think. Again, I come to this from the position of an English person as well, which makes it even funnier for me, I think. It's on page 20. Mm-hmm. The Uberbot is crushing General Glory to death in his fist. And the brilliant thing is, not, not just that, but but the Uberbot is sort of bent over. It's, his backside is sort of sticking up in the air right. through the embassy. He's grabbed him in his fist. And General Glory, he's got a grimace on his face. He's clearly in pain. And instead of just like shutting up and trying to break out or saying, guy, help me out or whatever... He gives a speech. <laughs> he gives a speech and he just, can I, may I? Go for it. In my, in my best of American. Try to crush me, you devil. But so long as I have my wits and my ideals, evil will never have the upper hand. For freedom is the very essence of strength and strength is the essence of liberty. And liberty is the, now general glory, if you have come to the end. <laughs> and, and, and it's just, it's so ridiculous. Like Blue Beetle is looking off, seeing this guy getting crushed to death. And he's trying to make a speech, like he's trying to persuade the Nazi. Like he might as well be the tick saying, stop your evil ways. I, I, I creased up. I was so much fun watching, just reading that bit because it's like the only reason General Glory stops is because he's interrupted by the bad guy. Right. He's going to keep going. And in the next panel, he's still being crushed by the hand. And in the next panel, he's still being crushed by the hand. The only reason he's not crushed by it is because Jean rips the arm off. And he's giving this speech. Uh, and it's just the juxtaposition is it's hilarious. I just, yeah, uh, that is my bohaha moment. I just even reading it now. I'm, I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm just laughing at it still. Even now, just looking at it, just the look on his face. Uh, that's so. That's my bohaha moment. It's a great moment, and the comparison to the tick is actually very apt. I mean, that's really good. Actually, I hadn't thought of the general glick and, uh, general glory and tick having so much in common. Uh, for me. I picked more of a reoccurring joke. So it starts on page nine when the giant robot shows up, right? And and we're we're dealing with Sue, who's in the uh, London embassy, you know, being critical of just being like, oh, really? Another freaking giant robot? Can't anyone do anything original? And then Catherine's joking about, oh, really? A giant <laughs> robot? And then later on, Marsha Manhunter is, you know, just totally also like, oh, anything but another giant robot. So for me, the the running gag of robots are just so overdone is <laughs> what I found to be funny because I was able to laugh about it throughout the entire issue. That was my pick. I, I wanted to ask you about that indirectly because I was thinking about that, this, this this callback thing. By this stage, how many giant robots has this version of the Justice League actually fought? 
Oh, is there, is there a precedent? Because I was I, I was going back. I didn't have time to read every single the previous forty seven issues, but I was like, have they fought a lot of them? I don't remember them fighting that many giant robots. And I just remember thinking, is it a callback to a non joke that makes it even funnier because there haven't been previous robots, or have there been a lot of them? I don't know that there's been a lot specifically in the JLA series. I mean, certainly they fought the giant construct robot early mm. on, uh, but I think it's more of just a nod to in general. There there always seems to be superheroes fighting giant robots. Robots. It seems to be a trope. It's like, you know, we, almost like a, a crutch when you want to write a story. It's like, well, I don't know, just have him fight a robot, you know, kind of thing. I, I know I've done that in role-playing games when I'm stuck. I'm like, I'm just going to throw a giant robot at him, you know, if it's a superhero role-playing game. So I, I think it's more of just the, uh, the, the, the trope in general rather yeah. than specific to them. But that's my pick. So now we got to decide who's going to win. Is it General Glory speechifying to the nth degree in his moment of doom? Or is it the running gag of everyone being so blasé about giant robots? Where are you feeling on this? Uh, see, the thing is, the, the comedian part of me kind of has to give it to you because the running gag is very solid. You know, as a one-off joke, I like the speech, but as if we're talking boahaha writ large, there's more boahaha to be had from yours. So I think I have to give it to yours, actually. And I think that's probably the smart thing to do. Uh, now, I, I will give you a nod. Your thing, while it's a one-off, it really is exemplary or, or a perfect example of General Glory. You know, as a whole, it's him in a nutshell in one panel, which is great. But yeah, I'll, I'll take the win. I'm fine with that. Thank you. Okay. okay. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, just, you know, I figure I want to be invited back at some point. So, uh, just, you know, it's as simple as, I mean, I flew all the way out to the U.S. Embassy for this. So, you know. That's true. And uh, by the way, that airfare is not reimbursed. I appreciate you taking that on yourself. So, uh, well, congratulations to the running gag about the giant robots being so blasé. Uh, so, uh, Uberbot, congratulations. And where your Bwahaha Award with pride is as tangible as the laughter we give you. Now, Ryan, <laughs> uh, as I said, thank you so much for coming out here to the New York Embassy. I need to ask you a favor. Would you mind hanging out here in the embassy for just a bit and and cleaning up all this destruction created by the Uber box. I have to go over to the London embassy for a while. I, um, two, two things. One, um, um, yeah, I'm not cleaning up the dog pedal on the Uber box. I don't want sweeping, <laughs> but, uh, the second thing is you may have picked up on this, but I'm English from England and the London embassy is 25 minutes on the tube from where I live. And, 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 and you insisted I fly out to the New York embassy, fly out mind, not use the transporter tubes, fly out. Um, and, and, uh, you know, I mean, I can't leave because I've also lost my luggage and passport in transit. So maybe next time, perhaps, you know, re read the chime echoing around the room that I'm English from England in London. Well, if we're doing a story about the New York Embassy, I, just, I, I felt like the verisimilitude was important to have you here, you know, here in the States to do the episode. So I'm I'm sorry you feel put out by it, but, you know, whatever, you know. Well, in my mind, I'm just parlaying that, that you're just part of the British Empire still. And so technically, I'm still in English territory. So it's, it's not such much of a problem. <laughs> Well, that sounds just fine. Now, Ryan, don't worry. We will bring you back at the end of the show. And after this podcast promo break, I'm going to go over to uh, the London Embassy. I'll probably stay in Ryan's house, actually, overnight. But anyway, I'm going to go over to the London Embassy for the 24th issue of Justice League Europe. Are you a fan of Doctor Who? How about comics? If you're a fan of both, then Doctor Who Panel to Panel is for you. This podcast looks in-depth into the long history of Doctor Who comics, from the 1960s kid-friendly strips to today's present comics from Titan Comics and Doctor Who magazine. I review stories old and new, featuring classic doctors like Tom Baker and John Pertwee, to the 12th Doctor himself, Peter Capaldi. 
I also interview the creators behind the stories, from authors such as Paul Carnell to artists like John Ridgway and Lee Sullivan. I also talk to production people such as Titan Comics editor Andrew James and Doctor Who magazine editor Tom Spilsbury about their career and work on these great comics. Check out Doctor Who Panel to Panel on iTunes, Facebook, and download episodes direct from DoctorWhoComics.com. The Justice League wouldn't help them, so Batman formed a new team. They are the Outsiders. We are the Outsiders! Covering Mike W. Barr's series into its third year, where change is in the air. A new member joins, an original member leaves, old and new threats, and the deadliest man alive. Oh, and more puns. The Outcasters is a Batman and the Outsiders podcast. Look for us under the Right On Network. That's W-R-I-G-H-T on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Or listen at our website, thehunterspodcast.com, and follow us on Twitter at BatOutcasters. Join the Outcasters. Because to live outside the law, you must be honest. And now, our coverage of Justice League Europe, number 24. Back from break, and I'm here with our second co-host for this episode. This person is a returning guest to the show and another international friend. This guest hails all the way from the mythical land of kangaroos and Chris Helmsworth. We brought him back specifically for this episode due to his devotion to the sandworms in Dune and Beetlejuice. Folks, please help me welcome back to the show Mr. Paul Dundee Hicks. Welcome to the London Embassy, Paul. Thanks for being here. How you doing, man? Ah, fantastic. Did you say Chris Helmsworth? I did. An L in it. It's no L in Helmsworth. Oh, there's not? It's a him. What <laughs> Helmsworth? Well, look Hemsworth. at that. Helmsworth. Yeah, you're disrespecting our international ambassadors. Wow. But let's yeah. talk about this for a minute. You know, do you know every single person in Australia? Uh... Most people know me. I mean, but I'm, so there I'm, could be a Chris Helmsworth that's there. I mean, you can't say there's not without looking in the phone book, and they don't really print those much anymore. All right, all right, all right. This joke is a road to nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about worms, man. Uh, let's start again from the top. No, worms, yeah, yeah. It's a very wormy issue. It is. I'm going to try not to be inappropriate, but, um, you know. <laughs> Welcome to Bwahaha After Dark, if you're joining us at this point. <laughs> I saw this comic, I saw there were giant worms, and all I could think about was you, and uh, I said, Paul's mm. the guy, because of your giant worm fetish. 
Yeah, I am. Interpret that however you want, folks. Uh, We're going to go ahead and get started because this, again, another road (laughs) to nowhere here. So, uh, folks, normally this is the point of the show where I would ask the guests a little bit of their history of the Justice League. But if you go back to episode 22, you can hear Paul's origin with the JLI. So let's just go jump right into it. This is Justice League Europe number 24, published by DC Comics, cover dated March 1991. On the shelves, February 5th, 1991. Cover price is $1 for Shiny Quarters. And the cover was by Bart Sears. Do you want to describe it for us? Yeah, it's got a yellow corner box with uh, Rocket Red being entwined by Elongated Man. So, And it's got a red circle DC logo, so it had circles back in the day. So I've been channeling uh, Jared Albrick. He does it with all colors and artistic descriptions <laughs> and things. Yes. It has a blue background with a giant gray worm with a pinky red maw which opens with two sort of mandible hinges from the bottom. Road with teeth. It has a little cover blurb saying, up from the depths. The worm has a kind of, uh, what would you call it? It's like a swishy unicorn thing sticking out. Of the side. A little it's bit. A bit like, you know, those, yeah, those fish with the dangly light so they can see where they go. And it's a little like, bit like that, but it goes backwards. And it hasn't got a light on it and it's purple. It's a little tiny mohawk. Yeah, or a wisp. There we a go. Yes. Th- a, w- a wispy thing. Anyway, that's the technical term. The worm is bursting out of the ground, so there's sort of clouds of dust and debris and bits of, I guess you'd call that crust, earth crust, um, flying around. And yeah, you can see the Justice League International, Europe people, as they're called. In the, from the foreground to the background, you've got uh, Kara, or Power Girl, as we call her. You've got Captain Adam. You've got Crimson Fox, or half of the Crimson Fox, as it were. Uh, you can see Elongated Man. You can see that's Metamorpho. And behind that is some guy in red. I don't know who that is. I'm going to guess that's Flash. Yeah, it could be Flash. They're all doing uh, what I would call uh, Star Trek Trouble on the Deck Legs. So <laughs> that's fair. That's like, fair. They're not stable. As always, it's drawn by Bart Sears. So Captain Adam looks like a condom full of walnuts. Oh my God. As far as the musculature. Yeah. So usually it'd have a UPC box, but it has JLI on mine. And, mine too. Uh, and the text Justice League Europe is red unless you are colorblind, in which case it's probably black. I don't know. I can see it in red. So. That's very specific. Uh, I like how you took the time to call out Captain Adam's physique, but you don't point out that uh, poor Kara, the cover is situated in just a way that they made sure to give you, a, you know, like a money shot of her butt, uh, including apparently she's got a wedgie at the moment. Completely unnecessary, but I guess they're trying to sell the comics. There's also uh, a little bit of torso twist, so you can see a little bit of boobage. <laughs> I guess that's true. I guess that's true. Yeah, but as far as sexy gratuitous things, it, I don't find it super sexy gratuitous. No, it's, it's definitely not. It hasn't gone too far, that's for sure. No. Uh, now, about the worm, you talked about the mouth. I have been watching Stranger Things with my family, and I can't help look at this thing, and now, especially on this cover, the way the teeth are and the three-segmented mouth, can't help but think of the Demogorgon and the way the mouth opened in Stranger Things. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, this came out probably roughly about a year after the movie Tremors, which, as we all know, was the first time anyone had used giant worms in any media ever. Mm. Um, it inspired the movie June. It inspired other things. Worms in it. Beetlejuice came after this. So Tremors was the original worm fictional source. So it's the high standard. And, of course, you've seen Tremors, of course, like all you know, right-thinking, smart people. Uh, actually haven't seen Tremors. And wait, let me get the timeline right. So you're saying Tremors inspired Dune, a movie that came out a few years before it? 
It inspired a book that led to a movie. So, yeah. Right. The, the book which came out like 20 years before Tremors? Yeah, yeah. That's how it went. Okay. Yeah. A little timey-wimey. It, right. it was that important. It was that significant that it just transcended all, uh, you know, timelines of influence. All right. It's the way it is. In the strata of worm recognition, you know, Tremor style, you know, where would this one rate? Well, I mean, one of the things with Tremors is they went to extraordinary lengths in the design process to not make them look like uh, members. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, there was a lot of phallic reduction design, you know, and I don't think they put the time in quite as much with this one, you know, as you flip through the pages, it's going to get inappropriate. It's, <laughs> yeah. Mm. Anyway, yeah. All we'll, right. We'll save what's behind the pages when we get there. I was going to say, yeah. based on this cover, if that's where you're going, I'm thinking they're doing something really strange in Australia uh, to children at birth. But anyway, so I got to ask you, the, the tagline, Up From The Depths, are we thinking that's a reference to the 1979 movie? Or are we talking the Godzilla animated series cartoon theme song, something else? What do you think? I just think it's a description because in this case, it has emerged up from the depths. The worm, you know, it's technically correct. True. Well, as, as long as you can get beyond the fact that this is just two-dimensional drawing with lines on it representing something. Uh, <laughs> uh, you're being exceptionally difficult today. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I feel like you've earned it. Uh, so That's fair. All right. Are you going to watch Tremors? When are you going to watch Tremors? Uh, I'm happy to take a break right now and you can watch Tremors. We'll use the rest of this time productively. And we're back, folks. I just finished watching <laughs> Tremors. So thanks for waiting. <laughs> I will promise you I will watch it soon. How's that? My wife loves that movie, so she'd be thrilled if I sat down and watched it. Oh, it's so good. It, it, it's funny. It's amusing. It's got really good jokes. It's a lot funnier than this issue. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> I, I'm still hung up on uh, Up From The Depths because all day in preparation for this podcast, I have been yeah. singing Up From The Depths, 30 stories high, living fire, da, da, da. and I don't remember the words, Godzilla, Godzilla, and Gazuki. It's been going through my head all day. Wow. I've, ne- I've never watched that, but I'll take your word for it. And, You're probably yeah. better off for it. Thank you for that absolute treat of your singing. Thank you. <laughs> Who knew it was going to be a musical episode? So one of the things I do like about this cover is it sort of functions like a page zero. Because when you f- open the cover, which is what we're doing now, it leads right to page one. So It's very uh, Watchmen, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. No, actually a lot. So, you know. That's fair. Cor- uh, correcting you. I think comparing this work to Watchmen on the scale of literacy is uh, very logical. So, all right. So plot yeah. and uh, probably breakdowns by Keith Giffen. Script is by Gerard Jones. Hey. Hey, this isn't part of breakdowns. We're not up to that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that joke took me a minute. Okay. Uh, well, penciler is Bart Sears. Inker is Randy Elliott. Letter is Bob LePad. Colorist is Gene D'Angelo. Assistant editor is Kevin Dooley. And editor is Andy Helfer. The name of the issue is Worm Food. Uh, you want to start us off? Sure, sure. As we open the comic, Simon Stack screams and flees as the giant worm thrusts itself upwards. Rex debates the merits of helping Stag and can't think of any. As Kara reacts in revulsion and Cap tries to formulate a plan, the throbbing monster turns and burrows down and away. <laughs> Rex helps... Sorry, what's wrong? <laughs> Nothing. Rex helps the struggling Java. Uh, this is Java the caveman, not Java the coffee or the, or you know, some sort of beverage. Out of the hole as the ranting stag, and that's the industrialist, not a you know male deer, returns to berate the team. Cap decides he'd rather deal with the worm than the angry industrialist and flies into the the shaft. Into the shaft, yeah. Reluctantly, the team follow. 
uh, scene change. We see Constance, Constance uh, de Aramis, uh, half of the Crimson Fox, as detailed in the previous episode and the previous issue. I'm just filling in notes because Shag never does this sort of stuff. It's true. She awakens to find herself in the mystical grasp of a gnarled tree facing the repulsive visage of Maurice Puente. What were you calling him? Well, if you define Puente, it actually translates to stink or stank. So I call him Old Man Stank. Oh, I don't want to use that, no. The man responsible for the poisoning of her mother and the death of her guardian. She swears to kill him, but the filthy old cult leader has plans to kill her first. He explains how his cult already has the money and now they have the ultimate power. Um, worms are ultimate power? Oh, okay. Apparently um, so. And, and controlling trees. And controlling trees, yeah. It's two types of power. New initiate, Smythe, gloats that Rebson's downfall will mean no more competition for his business. Constance spits in Maurice's face and he tightens the tree's grip on her and tells his acolytes to make her ready. Ready for what? you got to wonder. Smythe confesses his discomfort with this approach, but Puanteur mocks his naivete and says, it's too late to turn back for the lion and the moose. No, uh, mouse. Sorry, I went all French for a minute. <laughs> Let's go to the next bit. The whole team follow the hole into the whole other larger hole where they have a whole chat about whether they find the main lair of the worms. Suddenly, they are forced to scatter as the worm enters the cavern and tries to eat them in a dick move. Rex is too slow... <laughs> When the worm turns on him and he vanishes into the moor, the team try various tactics to penetrate the monster, but it's just too, too hard. Oh, my Lord. Okay. Uh, my half of the synopsis is not nearly as phallic. So um, the worm, and I'm trying to figure out a nice way to say this, and it has nothing to do with phallics. Uh, the worm expels uh, Metamorpho from its body from the rear, let's just say. Ejaculates? Could be. Uh, this inspires Captain Adam to fly into the worm's mouth and uses his powers from the inside and explodes the worm. Then Wally finds the nest crawling with dozens of giant worms as far as the eye can see. Meanwhile, back at the London Embassy, a mysterious stranger is reading the newspaper uh, about Kilowog's technical ability. The stranger then pays an unexpected visit to Catherine Colbert at the Embassy, which is what we call foreshadowing in the business, folks. Then we travel to the Revson building, where Maurice Puanter, again, who I'm calling Old Man Stank, has literally strung up poor Constance D'Aramis across the Revson billboard, hanging on the side of a building more than 20 stories up in the air. Old Man Stank leads his evil cult, using their hatred to activate the tuning fork and summon the giant worms, which apparently represents ultimate power. Down in the tunnels, the JLE witness the worms being activated as they tunnel for the surface. Back at the Revson building, uh, Constance, who they all think is Vivian, it's complicated, awakens as the enormous worm encircles her and the bill. Next issue, Nightcrawlers. All right, Paul, so what did you think about this issue, buddy? Well, uh, yeah, yeah, these worms are real stiff competition for the team, aren't they? God, how long did you spend preparing for these jokes? (laughs) (laughs) When you want me on the show, I've got to bring up my A game. I expect you to say it was really hard to do this. (laughs) No, I've done that joke. I'll do one joke once. Oh, only one joke? Okay, impressive. All right. What was the question again? Where were we? How did you feel the comic delivered on its girth? Was it was it worth your time? <laughs> it was. Um, oh, no, I'm, I'm sorry. This is just going to get really bad. No, uh, <laughs> 
despite all this worm mess around the place, it, it's a fairly slight issue. I mean, not a lot happens in it. I mean, basically, the team follow worms into wormholes and, you know, Puanta sets up Constance in peril to be resolved in the next issue, hopefully. But, I mean, the ultimate power is giant worms to consume things. There is talk of getting into media conglomeracy uh, if they're not already in that. So maybe that's more of a realistic ultimate power given what we see in the world today. And let's not make this political and talk about Rupert Murdoch and what an old man stank he is. But um, <laughs> yeah, so, um, you know, who is the real monster here? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. What do you think of this issue? I'm going to ask you because you say that people never ask you things. That's true. They never do. So uh, artistically, it's a very pretty issue. It, it's it's very enjoyable. I think Bart Sears drew the heck out of what he had. But they're, you're right. There just isn't a lot of meat on the bones there, really. And I didn't even mean that one as a joke. But it, there's... <laughs> It's about, I don't know, eight to ten pages of story dragged out across 22 issues. That's the problem. I mean, it's the JLE crawling around in some tunnels and finding the worms, and then the worms explode to the surface. And then it's Constance slash Vivian, because, I mean, the the bad guy thinks she's Vivian. Either way, it's Constance being tortured. And that's it. I mean, there's there's one page of foreshadowing about something going on with Catherine Colbert and some guy interested in, in Kilowog. But, I mean, really, there's nothing else here. Now, it was still entertaining. I still had fun with it, but it... When I sat down to write the recap, though, it was just kind of like, huh, yeah, nothing really happened in this one. But there are mm. things to there are things to like. Like I really enjoyed Metamorpho. He's cracking wise. You know, really had no intention of helping Stag or or Java because he just can't stand them. Rightfully so, he shouldn't. So I thought that was fun. No, I enjoyed yeah. that. And I like that Stag is a continuing uh, antagonist. I think he makes a very good antagonist for the Just League Europe, so I'm always glad to see him there. Uh, yeah. How do you, you feel about the stuff with uh, Constance and Vivian? Well, I mean, it's kind of setting up something that which, which would pay off normally, but uh, I'm not sure it's going to. I mean, clearly, there's some sort of advantage if, you, if there are two of you, but everyone thinks there's only one. So, you know, that can be a help. But I'm just not sure if the creative team is really committed to using that. Uh, Maurice thinks he's talking to Vivian, and he says, you know, it's a pity your sister died before I got the chance to kill her, where he's actually talking to Constance. And I mean, hopefully there'll be a, a payoff for that in the future, some future issue. Or... I haven't read ahead, but I know next issue is where it all comes to a head. It, it was a little uncomfortable for me seeing her <laughs> tortured, you know what I mean? Because it's, she's being tortured and she's dressed pretty, not not provocatively, but as Bart Sears drawing her. I mean, she's just in a, in a, in a nice skirt, fishnet stockings and, and a top, but because it's Bart yeah. Sears drawing her, it's extremely sexy and posed very, you know, sexual. So, I mean, that was a little uncomfortable. Yeah, and she's got the Bart Sears, you know, I've got a robot under my face, cheekbones, like he does. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's, let's talk about the worms, right? So they're digging these giant tunnels all under London. I mean, at this point, hmm. shouldn't the city of London collapse? I mean, these these tunnels are huge. These tunnels, you can make a fortune making tunnels of this quality. I mean, because they're smooth walled, they're very, very large. They're obviously very structurally sound in that the worms pass through because they, you know, they must form a very strong um, surface of the tunnel. I'm no structural engineer or anything, but, you know, these look damn good quality. So, you know, if you wanted ultimate power, you could just make tunnels for people and collect all the money and things like that. You know, literally all you need is a big tuning fork and some hatred and a few people in ropes. You you probably don't even need the ropes. They could be... out of the road. I think the roads are optional. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, depends on the weather. I mean, you don't want to be cold. It so, is England. I mean, yeah. Uh, but uh, have you ever been invited to anywhere where you've been asked to put on a road? No, absolutely not. Uh, How about you? I thought that would have happened at Dragon Con. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, 
I thought everyone in Australia dressed that way. Don't you guys have rituals and things like that? No, no, we just keep it real. Fair enough. It's all those deadly animals. You gotta, <laughs> gotta, gotta watch your watch your six at all times. So yeah. if you look at that last page, though, with all these worms coming up all over London, I mean, again, it just seems to me that the, the town is going to collapse. But maybe it's just me. Yeah. So what do you reckon's the rudest page? <laughs> so that has got to be page twelve where Metamorpho is expelled by the worm. And by expelled, I'm pretty sure he was either farted out or um, pooped out. I don't know which. So I think page 20 is probably the rudest, because that's where the, all the, the worms are standing. What would you call an upright worm? Really upright. Um. <laughs> I'm not going there. <laughs> you can keep fishing and uh, build that phrase that you're trying to construct but uh, I'm I'm not going there. Once I found a potato that looked like a penis, that's a true story. Um, and I, dug it. I, I would show it to people and, you know, they would go, wow, that's a great dictator. <sighs> oh, my God. Oh, wow. I, I really didn't see this episode going this way. I thought there was going to be a lot more Tremors talk. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I was, I was catering it to you. So I was thinking, yeah. <laughs> All right. So I got a couple of art comments here. Sure, now, it, sure. It's, uh, it, yes. It sounds like I'm being critical of the issue. Again, I did enjoy reading it quite a bit. I thought Bart Sears, again, drew it. Like, even the, even the, the part where Constance is being tortured, you know, I, I said it's disturbing, but at the same time, it's artistically awesome. I mean, it's really well drawn. She looks great. The tears coming down her face, the the struggle, the, the creepy dudes and hoods, it all looks great. Uh, I will say uh, Kara's earrings, though. Kara is, is swinging around with these earrings, which I think have gotten three times bigger since she first got them, and I can't decide if if they are awesome, like a deadly weapon she could use, or a liability, like waiting for someone to grab her earlobe. It looks like she stole them off Angleman, doesn't it? Right, yeah, truthfully. Uh, yeah. Or, or Cyberforce, you know, or something like that. I mean, that kind of thing. <laughs> I, I'm hoping yeah. her earlobes are bulletproof, or at least yank-proof, because yeah. uh, that would be bad as a weapon someone could use against her. Yeah. And then another comment, this is uh, just, uh, this I noticed in reading panel by panel mode, Silver Sorceress, right? She does nothing in this, right? I think she has one line of dialogue, maybe? I don't know. I spotted Blue Jay too at one point and go, oh yeah, he's in there. <laughs> oh, he's still on the team. Uh, well, if you go yeah. to page 10, the yeah. second panel, again, she's not doing anything, but Bart Sears added something. They're all attacking the worm, and they're blasting it, you know, like Rocket Red shooting and Captain Adam shooting it, and she has created some sort of, it looks almost like an arrowhead or a drill that she used her powers to create to attack the worm, and I thought mm-hmm. that one panel, that one little tiny drawing he did, gave her more personality in this issue than the whole rest of the issue. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm jealous of you reading it in uh, panel by panel mode because I only have the physical comic. And uh, to be honest, the colors are quite a bit muddy at times. Well, I bought it on Comixology before they pulled them. So that's why I'm able to still read them on <laughs> You panel just by can't panel. stop with the inappropriate jokes, can you? Oh my God, you are the worst. All right, well, all right, back out to like the 10,000 foot level here. Did you enjoy reading it? Um, Yeah, but it, I mean, it's very inconclusive. I did actually read ahead because I was like, well, this is quite unsatisfying on its own. I want to see what happens. I want to know what's coming. <laughs> no, no pun intended. God. I'm going to have to put the explicit tag on this episode. Uh, well, that's what you get when you talk to Australians voluntarily. So. I guess so. I, and you haven't even mentioned Catherine Colbert in her Jazzercise outfit. I figured that oh, would have wow. come up. Yeah, yeah, that is. 
that is an outfit. But well, can we talk about page fourteen, the page before that, which is when Captain Adam uh, explodes the worm from the out- inside? And yeah, okay, I see where this is going. Go ahead, I'm gonna have to edit this. Well, no, no, it's the next panel. There's a full across the page lower panel of the team covered in worm goo. Worm mm-hmm. goo. It's kind of greeny, but it, uh, it just reminded me a little bit of a movie called Tremors, which. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you haven't seen, but uh, basically, uh, spoilers: worms explode in Tremors. So at one point, they toss out some dynamite or C four or whatever. I don't know. It's explosives. The Americans use explosives all the time. I don't. I'm um, using some right now. Yeah, and they drag it along the ground, and the worm monster, which are called graboids in the movie, grabs that and eats it. And they're all going yay! And then the worm explodes, and the whole team—they're all standing on rocks because if you're on the ground, you die. And they all stand up and cheer and go yay! And then suddenly all this worm guts rains down all on top of them. And it's a very funny moment, which is what this really isn't because, you know, this goes straight to them covered in worm guts, whereas it could have, you know, worked it that way and had them some sense of victory before they got covered in worm guts, you know, and then it's ironic, the victory. Gotcha. Okay. I see that. I see yeah. the, the separation. So wh- when did Tremors come out, by the way? Tremors came out in 1990. Okay. So it is before this, this story. It is all before right. this. Yeah. Yeah. So, That's right. Because Tremors inspired everything with worms i forgot that's right yeah yeah i mean it is yeah i don't think real worms existed until tremors came out that's quite possible i don't remember them in my youth so that's fine yeah no so i I would say that if someone had bothered to return the favor and ask me the question did i enjoy reading the issue uh, i would have said yes I, i did in fact enjoy reading the issue i had a fun time it wasn't until i had to break it down step by step for a podcast that i started to nitpick at it yeah, I mean, don't podcasts kill the joy? I mean, like, you take something you love, like, say, the Justice League comic, and you go, yeah, I love that comic. And then you talk about, for how, how many years has this podcast got? 33 years or something? Uh, that was I think on that's the pro- 31. That's the projected length is 33 years, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. And, you know, at some point you go, I need to find, what's the word? Find my happiness? Find my... Perhaps joy? Joy? No, no. no? I, she wouldn't have anything to add. <laughs> <laughs> maybe podcasts are a bad thing for the things you love. Maybe. maybe. I don't know. It could be. You spend too much time talking about something, you, you do find yourself frustrated. Now, I am not frustrated with this issue. Uh, I okay, did, cool. Again, I enjoyed it. It's just yeah. there. Uh, it's a lot to nitpick, really. You can. So, yeah. overall, it sounds like we both enjoyed it at a surface level. I think that's fair to say. Yeah, below the surface. <laughs> In the depths. No, maybe not. I don't know. Oh, and my it, goodness. And it is beautiful to look at. It's absolutely beautiful to look at. Yeah. I think we should just leave it well enough alone and say that it was fun to read and just read it and enjoy it and don't spend too much time thinking about it, folks. You think we should pull out at this point? Oh, God. All right, folks. So with that, uh, we are going to move on to our next segment I like to call... Character Spotlight. This is where the guest is asked to share some thoughts on a character from this issue. And it's not usually an origin recap, but, you know, more like where the characters were in the comic books before joining the Justice League or how the Justice League may have impacted their lives or whatever. So, Paul, let's turn it over to you for the character spotlight. Sure. In the quiet, sleepy desert town of perfection, there are two handymen, uh, Val and Earl. They are saving to get out of town and move to Vegas. This is their big break. But their attempts to get out of town are thwarted by some unexpected deaths in the area where people are found mysteriously buried or hiding up in control towers trying to get away from things underground. This leads to a whole lot of mayhem as they discover the town is infested with underground worms, which they call graboids. Paul, Uh, what the hell are you doing? I was just talking about tremors. I just thought it was a good opportunity. (laughs) 
<laughs> so your character spotlight is on the worms. That's that's what you decided to do. Well, it's the progenitor of everything wormish in the in the universe. So ever, I'm just getting it out there for you. If you're not going to watch it, I'm going to give you the experience of knowing about it. So. <laughs> So I think I can just fast forward ahead and just say the Graboids inspired Justice League Europe, uh, probably even the creation of Justice League Europe. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, everything about this comic was leading to this moment. I mean, they thought, I'm going to start writing comics, so then I can do a tribute to my favorite movie, Tremors. And that's what formed the career of everyone involved with it. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks, Paul. I think that was very enlightening. uh, And I think that our people at home will really appreciate that. Thank you. I think I did a really good job. You asked me to keep it classy, and I think I really did. So yeah, did. no, it's, it, that was something for the record books. All right. Yeah. So on that note, folks, we are now going to move forward and tackle the One Punch Award. This is where we nominate our favorite moment from the issue, whether it be fantastic or shocking or dramatic or funny or maybe drippy or whatever it might be. Both myself and Paul are going to pick one moment. Only one will be awarded the coveted One Punch Award. So what do you got, Paul? It's a bit Slim Pickens. Slim Pickens, as uh, he's one of your performers in America, isn't he? I found myself struggling to find something that was really One Punch worthy. There are a couple of wry smiles. It's like one of those British sitcoms where they say, you know, a hilarious series with a joke in episode eight. That sort of um, <laughs> Yeah, so it was a bit like that, but I've come down to two points, two points, and you will probably back me up because I'm incredibly smart on this, but one of them is, uh, let's go to page two, uh, where Karen is ranting about the worms. Kara, not Karen. Oh, she's Karen Star in it. She's Karen Star, but she's Kara in her... uh, Kara, you're right. Or Kara in Powerful. And obviously, Karen carries a lot more baggage than it used to as a a name. Anyway, uh, but she's saying, worms, I hate worms. When I joined the bunch, you never told me I was going to have to mess with worms. And Captain Adam says, zip it, Kara, let's wait. And then while he's in the background, zip it, let's wait. Um, and that, <laughs> that was the first moment I thought was mildly amusing. The other moment, it's on uh, page 15, where we see the stranger ap- approaching the JLI embassy, and he's carrying a newspaper, and the headline in the newspaper is, he may be Uggers, but he's a smart one. So <laughs> I, I just think the word Uggers is very funny. Uh, you know. <laughs> It is funny. I, I that gave me pause as well. I, I thought that was clever. Yeah. So, uh, but it's like, like the only dialect in the whole thing, other than uh, yeah. Crimson Fox using "ze" all the time. Yeah, but I mean, just reading that aloud then gave me more pleasure than the front bit. So I'm going to go with uh, the newspaper saying the word "uggers" and it's describing Kilowog, which is kind of unkind. Uh, but I mean, you know, if you're going to insult someone, use a cute word like "uggers." You know, I, don't, I wouldn't mind if people said I was "uggers." Well, we have a whole chat thread called "Paul is Uggers" that we. Uh, uh, <laughs> you do. Stuff. We do, yeah. yeah. So. yeah. Okay, good. You just said you wouldn't mind, so. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, what about you? What have you got, Mr. Well, thank you for assess- asking. Assessor of, well, that's what I do. I ask questions of Shag because I know you're going to pick on me if I don't. <laughs> uh, I picked a moment that you attacked earlier. I picked the moment of Captain Adam exploding out of the worm because, you know, the, they, uh. set, they set it up with Metamorpho going inside the worm and getting expelled. Uh, and then Captain Adam goes in there. They're all wondering what he's going to do. And he explodes out the worm and all the all over everyone. I thought that was a combination of sort of an exciting panel where Captain Adam is exploding out and then a funny bit with all the, the looks like green ice cream dripping all over everyone. So that was my pick. Yeah, I can see how that would appeal to the lowbrow. So, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Someone likes yeah. tremors, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> 
How can you say that you have not seen the film? So you you have no say in that. Except that you directly compared this moment to the movie. A far superior moment in, in the movie. Oh, come on. <laughs> so we have to decide, unless you're going to be the smart one and immediately uh, surrender to me uh, and, and, and give it to me, then I would go with your Uggers comment simply because Catherine Colbert is on the page in a Jazzercise outfit. <laughs> Okay. Thank you. Well, I, I didn't want to give it to you just on principle. So there you go. Fair uh, enough. I, I do believe that is the better moment. Can I ask everyone who's listening to chime in on the comments with your contempt for Shag that he hasn't watched Tremors? I want you to, you know, say he's really missing out. And then we can make it one of those personal things where he doesn't want to watch it because everyone's told him to watch it. But then he, either way, he's missing out. Let's do that. <laughs> so um, if you think Shag should watch Tremors, let us know in the comments. I mean, the other funniest moment was. Um, all the dick jokes I made, I think. Those were pretty great. Those were pretty great. We can't great. vote for those, can we? You're a real stand-up guy. So, yep, that's good. <laughs> so, congratulations to uh, Uggers, uh, Kellawag, and Catherine Colbert. You're the winner of the One Punch Award. Please wear it with pride. It is as tangible as our love for that moment. All right, Paul. So, uh, this is the part of the episode where I ask you to leave, thankfully. But I need no. to ask But I need you to do a favor for no. me. No, no. Would you mind... Actually, tell you what. I'll leave. How's that? You stay. I'll leave. Would you mind hanging <laughs> around here for a bit? I figure if the worms show up, you are the best equipped to deal with the problem, given your extensive expertise and, and study of tremors. This is a really contrived moment. It's like you're trying to edit something around the fact that the guest isn't there at a point where you're doing something else. I don't know what you're doing at this moment, but look, I'll leave. I'll leave on the promise that you don't talk about anything and that I contributed to the previous episode discussion. All right, that's fair enough. And uh, I guess, folks, you're going to have to stick around to find out if I keep my promise to Paul. But, Paul, don't worry. We will bring you back at the end of the show. And while Paul takes care of that, folks, I'm going to read your listener feedback, on, but not Paul's, in a segment called... Justice Log. All right, before we get started, just a little bit of shameless promotion. So, folks, there is a wonderful podcast called the JLU Cast, and it's here on the Firewater Podcast Network where they discuss the Justice League Unlimited cartoons. So, just recently, they covered episode number eight of JLU, which is called The Greatest Story Never Told, which is the one all about Booster Gold. As JLI fans, I'm going to assume you've seen it. It is a fantastic episode. So, the hosts of the podcast are Chris and Cindy Franklin, and they were kind enough to have me on the episode. So, I had an absolute blast chatting with them, talking about Booster Gold talking about the episode. It was so much fun. So check out JLU Cast from June 27th. All right, folks, I need you to get out on the social media. Tag us at JLI Podcast on Twitter or Just League International Blahaha Podcast on Facebook. Of course, you can use our hashtag FW Podcast as well. As I always say, it is about building a community of online JLI fans around the show. And remember, when you're posting in the comments, if you're outside of the United States, please be sure to let me know. And we will assign you the appropriate embassy, which is good to know, too, because if you're international, we have to filter iTunes properly to see your reviews. Speaking of which, over on iTunes, we heard again from Bucky74. AKA the American Samurai, who uh, updated his iTunes review with new information, which I didn't even know you could do. So uh, here it is. So Bucky749 writes status report. I was excited to hear my iTunes review on the show. And as of now, both you and the Weird Warriors podcast have both read my reviews on the show. Thank you. Now for the status report. The quote, should I have made a left turn at Albuquerque, end quote, embassy is coming along. My brother Jeremy has nicknamed it Bugs Place. The building is up and I'm putting up a bronze statue 
courtesy of Shag shaking hands with Bugs Bunny. Keep up the great work. Let me know if you'd like more reports in the future. Also, I've been a fan of yours since the Ultraverse Network. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Bucky, for the update. And Ultraverse Network, that is going back a long time ago. So, uh, yes, I would love additional updates. However, uh, probably the best place to leave those are going to be over on the Firewater Podcast website. Again, thank you so much for listening, and thank you so much for the feedback. Now, folks, if you haven't left an iTunes review yet, please, please consider it. Because remember, it really helps to raise the profile of the show and helps attract new listeners. And if you haven't, well, I might just get Old Man Stank to call the Tremors Worms over to your house. All right, now it is time to get into your feedback. We're going to cover your thoughts from our website, email, social media, things like that. Now, as always, I'm just going to be pulling bits and pieces because you guys leave so much feedback. Uh, but we are going to be covering thoughts on the most recent episode, which covered Justice League Quarterly Number 2 with my guests, John and Maggie Schaefer-Hames. First up is Gus Casals from our Argentina embassy. He does shows such as Alfred Pennyworth Presents Podcast and his Legion 60 Years Later Podcast. Gus says, so I have been reassessing many of these JLI universe issues from this late era, thanks to the podcast. So so, nor General Glory, and of course, Mr. Nebula at all. And I do remember actively disliking the character of Mr. Nebula, and then I didn't revisit the issue for 30 years. So thank you, thank you, thank you, Maggie, for bringing out in the open the gay stereotypes in the character. As a young gay guy just out of the closet and dealing with the politics of it all, I had a visceral negative reaction to the character and the way it was portrayed. It is gay-coded, and it is full of stereotypes, and yes, playing with a fashion designer interior design tropes, which is another stereotype. All of them are gay. Now, as a more mature reader, I can also articulate camp and understand the intrinsic camp of these stories and how they could not have been used as caricature, but commentary. Gene DiMatteis has proven time and time again that he does have the sensibility for this. You three actually kind of understood this without a theoretical framework when you mentioned the granny tacky aesthetic. That is pure camp. Layers and layers. Then Gus goes on to say, great episode. I felt like John's journey is very similar to mine regarding the relationship to the titles and smile in agreement several times. Wow. So thank you so much, Gus, for your thoughtful comments. As always, they're wonderful. So uh, Maggie, uh, John, and myself, all of us went out there and commented on Gus's thoughts and thanked him for speaking up and sharing those thoughts with us. So thank you, Gus, once again, for really sharing that and, and shining a spotlight on that. We also heard in the same thread from Chris Lewis from our England embassy. Chris says it wasn't until the early 2000s when the five superpowers common to all of us gay guys were made known to the wider public. Grooming, culture, interior design, fashion, and food connoisseur. Thank you, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. And clearly, all of this is nonsense, just as all straight guys are not universally into hunting, sports, DIY, and car maintenance. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. That is a very good point. Very good points. And then Chris says, I will chalk Mr. Nebula's portrayal as a product of its time, where there are all kinds of stereotypes went less and less challenged and were more acceptable form of shorthand in the stories. This issue of JLQ is far less troublesome, though, than other media at the time, in my opinion. It doesn't really detract from my enjoyment of this wacky story. Well, we appreciate that, Chris. Thank you so much. Then Bradley Null chimes in and says, this is one of my favorite issues. I live near Las Vegas. Uh, I always saw the gay designer stereotype in the comic, and my feelings on the stereotype are complicated, but this is one of my favorite examples. Then we hear from Mark Baker Wright from Not Your Father's Autobot Podcast and Black Rock's Toy Box. Mark writes, Shag, I am disappointed. You seem to have forgotten that as clearly written down in the Box Accords of 2018, all references to Transformer comic books are to be made with respect and honor. Your careless dismissals risk igniting another armed conflict and the Earth may not survive another such incident. I fully expect you to be more careful in the future should we survive long enough for another opportunity to present itself. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mark. I appreciate that. Then we 
from Symbol Pending from the UK Embassy also runs the Symbol Pending Power Girl blog. Symbol says, Having started comics with the original UK Transformers comics before going through my goth-adjacent phase, I feel companionship with both your fine guests. I was worried for a bit that I was going to be in the minority about the second story being better than the first. The first one's fine, but I'm finding I'm not much of a fan of the JLI standing around being able to do little before the plot sorts itself out. The second story has character beats and interactions which are like honey to my reading sensibilities, but I do get this sneaking feeling that this is one of those inventory stories, especially for B in her old flaming form rather than the full-on Johnny Storm of the regular issues. Uh, thank you so much, Symbol Penning. Yeah, I, I totally agree. That second story really was, uh, at least for me, John and Maggie, a lot more enjoyable, and we really thought it was spectacular. And you may be right about it being an inventory story. That is quite possible. Then we're from Mike Dinas from the Pacific Canadian Embassy. Mike says, what a fantastic episode, everyone. It was such a treat to hear Maggie and John together talking comics. I was delighted to hear Maggie's story about going from darkity, dark, dark Batman to Bwahaha JLA. That would have been a real record scratch type of transition. Then Mike goes on to say, I do remember the story because I think it was one of my first times as a kid. I was finally getting the analogs Giffen and DiMatteis were parroting. While the extremists flew right over my head as Marvel analogs, I finally understood that Mr. Nebula was a joke on Galactus and General Glory was a play on Captain America. It was a formative time that a lot of this humor was finally starting to land for me, and I loved every minute of it. Thanks so much for the fun. I really enjoyed your dive into such a fun comic. Keep up the great work. Oh, well, thank you, Mike. I really appreciate that. Then we hear from John Riddle, who says, You may be amused to read that I introduced comics to my girlfriend, Wendy, by cuddling up and reading issues out loud to her, changing my voice with each character. We really found our joy in this and have become one of our favorite dating activities. The last comic book we read together was Designing Humans, from Justice League Quarterly number 2, and it was an absolute blast to read this story out loud. While you may contest that Nort doesn't achieve much in this issue, I found him to be the most fun to vocalize. Because I suspect Nort was based on Norton from The Honeymooners, and my version wound up sounding a lot like Barney Rubble whenever he chimed in with one of his dad jokes. The only character more fun to read with these Bwahaha comics is the master of melodrama himself, Manga Khan! I'm shouting, aren't I? Should you read this letter on the show, Wendy will have been name-dropped on a comic book podcast, meaning that, like me, there is no turning back from comic book fandom. She will be ours! Ours! Was I shouting again? <laughs> Thank you so much, John. And wow, that is awesome that you and your girlfriend are able to cuddle and read comics in such a way. That is so cool. Uh, I can't tell you how many other comic book fans wish their significant others were into comics like them. That is so cool, John. So, happy to have helped in any small way, and congratulations, Wendy, you are now part of the club. They were from Liz Ann Oswald from her YouTube channel. Uh, one of Liz's comments was, the fire and ice bit was fun, although y'all are wrong. There's always a hottest of the two. After all, her name is Fire. <laughs> Not sure why she's in costume. Uh, normally she's portrayed as someone who always likes to have a distinctive look. It's weird on her day off that she's walking around in her superhero outfit. Well, thank you so much, Liz. That is interesting that she would be walking around in her super outfit. And sorry, I am going to take issue. Ice was so much hotter in that issue in that red dress, but that is just me. So, all right, then we're here from Tim Price from the Outcasters, Batman and the Outsiders podcast and the Batgirl Huntress podcast. Tim says, Mr. Nebula cometh, or something. So, yes, this issue is hilarious, especially Nort and the Scarlet Skier. I'd forgotten other great facial expressions were in this issue, but Tom Artis delivers. Then he says, I'm not sure if it was mentioned, but Tom was the artist on the prequel issue, Justice League America number 36, going above and beyond to give a consistent look for these two stories. 
Then he says, I think the discussion about Mr. Nebula being coded as gay is right on. In that same vein, when I first read this, I kept seeing a similarity to Bronson Pinchot's character, Serge, in the Beverly Hills Cop movie, an undeniably gay character. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but there you go. The Fire and Ice story was another fun romp, and I also mean the characters were having fun. Captain Cold and Heatway were having fun reliving their glory days. Fire was having fun trying to catch them, and Ice, well, okay. Uh, maybe she wasn't having fun, but darn, she was so sweet as always. Uh, something about Fire was bugging me on this reread. She was out for money and reward, preoccupied with sex, fighting classic Flash villains. Oh my gosh, has B turned into Wally West from Justice League Europe? Say it ain't so. Ooh, Tim. Eee, scary observation. You might be right, though. Oh no. Then we heard from Everton Vieira do Carmo from our Brazilian embassy. Uh, he says, This is one of the editions that made me read Justice League International. Mr. Nebula was a villain I was told I had to read about. And in Brazil, it gets even better because Decorator and Devourer change with just one letter. Galactus is the Devourer, which is, and I am totally going to say this wrong. I'm sorry, Everton, uh, which translates to Devorador of Worlds. And Mr. Nebula is Decorator, which is Decorador of Worlds. So just one letter different. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, then Tom says, one thing about Ernesto Lopez from the Brazilian embassy, Lopez is a non-Brazilian surname, which maybe sounds Spanish. I reveal this because I really like Ernesto Lopez and the fact that the Brazilian embassy is the only one with a swimming pool. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Tom. Really appreciate your thoughts. We heard from Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist. Uh, he mentioned at Heroes Con, he was building himself a collection of JLI Lego minifigures. Awesome, Jared. I hope you enjoy. We also heard from John M. Wilson, who's working his way through our back catalog, listening to episodes. He's out there commenting on Twitter about the old episodes of the show. Thank you so much, John. You'll hear this someday. They heard from Doug Adamson from our Scottish Embassy. He is also is working his way through the back catalog. He had a couple of comments I wanted to mention. He says, I am still miles behind in the podcast. Now, when he wrote this, he was on JLA 26 and Justice League Europe number two. He says, but for those of you on the lookout for something of a mishmash over in the UK, I just saw this. And he posted a listing for a trade paperback called Justice League of America Endings and Beginnings, which collects Justice League of America the original series, 258 to 261, which is the last story of the original series, and then Justice League Europe 1 through 6 in JLI number 7. So basically, it's it's collecting the end of the original series and then picking up right after that with the JLI. So it's kind of an interesting mishmash. It's 288 pages, and over in the UK, it sells for British pounds of 9.99. So very reasonably priced. Uh, also, Doug has started to post on the website, thefireandwaterpodcast.com, on the older episodes of JLI. So if you're looking for comments on some of the older episodes, there are new comments out there. Be sure to check those out. And finally, he says, uh, I have started trying to run a couch to 5K again. And in the past, the podcasts I listened to were about sports. But now I'm listening to JLI, Bwahaha, and I look forward to going for a run. And I cannot stress that I hate running. Doug, that is awesome. I am so glad that you're listening to us while you run. And a little bit of weird coincidence. So about the time uh, where you're listening in the podcast, back around JLE number two, somewhere around there, I actually also started jogging. I, I've always despised exercise. I hate jogging especially, but I knew I needed to make a change in my life. So I started jogging and I also listen to podcasts a lot when I'm jogging, by the way. But uh, it's just sort of weird that around the same time you're listening and around the same time in my life where I started jogging, that's uh, they were kind of in sync there, man. So a little bit of synergy for us, buddy. So hope you're enjoying it. Good luck with the, uh, the run to the 5K, and uh, thanks so much for listening. Then we heard from Dr. Ange and some guy named Paul Hicks. I don't know who he is. Anyway, uh, you may recall, last episode, we were talking about the cover of Justice League Quarterly number 2. Uh, we all kind of felt like it was an homage to something, but we couldn't quite nail it down. Well, both Dr. Ange and Paul Hicks contacted me independently to say that they thought Justice League Quarterly number 2 cover was an homage to Batman Legends of the Dark Knight number 17. The cover 
covers drawn by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name. Now, there are some similarities here. In both instances, the characters are tilting their heads to one direction. They both have like a manic grin on their face. They both have their hands uh, sort of up to the side of their face. So there is definitely some similarity, but uh, there's no people tumbling. The hands are in different positions. Um, and here's the weirder thing. So I looked it up. The release dates of Justly Quarterly number two and, Dar- and Legends of the Dark Knight number 17. According to Mike's Amazing World, uh, Justly Quarterly came out two months before uh, Legends of the Dark Knight, whereas CLZ Comics says the opposite. It says Legends of the Dark Knight came out two months before Justly Quarterly. Kind of weird. Uh, but given how far in advance comic book covers have to be done for solicitations and stuff, I, I just don't think the two months was enough time for either cover to influence the other. Uh, and also, we have heard from Bart Sears, who responded saying that he did not base the cover on any other homage. So I just want to say thank you, Dr. Ange, for writing in. I, I think this is probably just one of those coincidences. But uh, sharp eye, and thank you so much for your comments. And to Paul Hicks, who specifically told me not to talk about him in the feedback section, uh, I'll just say instead, Paul, you're, you're just damn wrong. So there we go. All right, folks, so uh, now is the point of the show where we thank everyone who shared the show on their social media timeline. And as I always say, I know, guys, I say it every episode, but I don't care. I'm going to keep saying it. It's a long list of names. I get it. But these folks help support and promote the show. It is so important to me that we recognize these individuals because they are part of our community. And they are out promoting the show and helping new people find the show. So if you want to be on this list, you just share it on Facebook or retweet it on Twitter. So our thanks go out, too. Adamson's Attic, Al Girding, All-Star Squadron, Andre TFG, Chris Franklin, Chris Lewis, Chris Lydon, Coffee and Comics, David Ace Gutierrez, Days of High Adventure Podcast, Denim Jedi, Dr. Jennifer Swartz Levine, Ed Moore, Fan Films Fridays Podcast, Frederico Hernandez, For All Mankind Super Friends Podcast, Geek to Me Radio, Gus Casals, Homework the Podcast, Insomniac Drive-In, Jason R. Lady, Joe Tonello, John Coos, John M. Wilson, Jonathan Schaefer Hames, Jose Rivera. Justice Trek, Justin Steiner, Liz Ann Oswald, Long Box of Darkness, Martin Kogan, Maddie Jets, Max Romero, Michael Kramer, Michael Thomas, Mick Jameson, Mike Dinus, Mike Jameson, Outsiders, Batman and the Outsiders Podcast, Paul Hicks, Paul Kean, Pragmatic Gollum, Relatively Geeky Podcast Network, Richard Field, Rob Kelly, Roger Preeb, Rolled Spine Podcast, Ryan Blake, Scott X, Secret Wars and Beyond Podcast, Siskoid, Symbol Pending, Tim Price, Treasury Comics, Trent Lewis, Willie Yarbrough, and Zek Cap Boots. Woof. My thanks to all of you for your support of the JLI Podcast. Your feedback is such, such a critical part of this show, folks. And the community of JLI fans we're building together is absolutely fantastic. Now, if I've forgotten or missed anyone, I am terribly sorry. It is probably the fault of John or Maggie. All right, well, uh, never mind. Let's face it. It's probably John's fault. Anyway, let me know, and I'll be sure to include you in the next episode. So please keep those cards and letters coming, everyone. Our website is firewaterpodcast.com slash JLI. Leave your comments on the show post there. Over on Facebook, it is Justice League International Blahaha Podcast. And on Twitter, it's JLI Podcast. And of course, you can email us as well at jlipodcast at gmail.com. My thanks again to Maggie and John Schaefer Hames for appearing on the most recent episode of the show. And thanks to you listeners for such a great collection of feedback. Now, we're going to take a quick podcast promo break. And when we come back, we'll see if we can bring Ryan and Paul together in the same embassy. It's so good to be on a break from my hectic, hectic work schedule. To be free of, well, okay, I like to hit my clients, but it's so nice to just get out of the office and stretch my legs and go for a walk around the city. What a beautiful day. Ah, it's lovely. Oh, excuse me, mate. Have you, have you got any uh, DC events? Have you got any, have you got any invasion? Uh, have you got any uh, um, Genesis? I'm, just... I'm very so sorry. I know I... 
Wait, Paul? Oh. Paul, is that you? Oh, oh, Dr. Herfenthing. Oh, hello. My gosh, Paul, what has happened to you? Why are you in this gutter here? Oh, I may have had a bit of a relapse and got back on the DC events a bit too hard. Ah, oh, multiple expletives in whatever European country I come from. Good Lord, ah, this means one thing. We have to get you back. Back in the office for more DC OCD. Oh, excellent. Yes, DC OCD is back, looking at every single DC event from where we dropped off last time. Uh, I don't know where that was, but we're continuing, moving on into the recent years of DC events. So uh, look for it on the Waiting for Doom feed, wherever you see good podcasts and ours. Between the golden age of Atlantis and the rise of recorded history, there were ages undreamed of. Hither came heroes and villains possessing swords and magic, whose deeds became tales and legends. I have come to relate these sagas. Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. Days of High Adventure, a new podcast discussing a variety of comics that fall into the fantasy or sword and sorcery genre. Available on most podcast services and Anchor FM. Alright folks, we're back from break, and yes, it does appear the JLI teleporter is brought together both Ryan and Paul for us. Ryan, again, thank you so much for appearing on the show. I'm terribly sorry we lost your luggage, but I'm glad we were able to give you the teleporter ride home rather than having to catch another flight. Why don't you tell the folks uh, where they can find you on the internets? Uh, I um, host and run a Doctor Who role-playing game podcast. Yes, that's incredibly niche. I know. Um, <laughs> called Wibbly Wobbly Dicey Wicey. And we can be reached at WWDWRPG. And I personally can be reached at Ryan Blake 235 Spelled as it sounds. So yeah, so if you want to talk anything to do with, about Doctor Who and role-playing games, uh, then that's, that's the place to go. We are currently the only Doctor Who role-playing game podcast that isn't an actual play-by-play podcast so if you're incredibly myopic in your pop culture preferences we're the place to go to as, as you guess you know ryan's my guest here and i've as i've repeatedly said on these shows hmm i do have passions for both doctor who and role-playing games so i'm your target audience right here man <laughs> and in closing i would just like to say this as i get into the transporter tube to uh, paraphrase uh, my hero general glory try sending me home you devil so long as i have my voice and my english accent Bwahaha, will never have the upper hand for communication is the very essence of podcasting podcasting is the very essence of communication and communication thank is- you so much ryan for being here i appreciate your enthusiasm but i as uh, schmidt did i'm gonna have to cut you off there all right now is my opportunity where i could choose to thank paul for being on the show if i wanted to but i don't particularly wish to so instead i'll just say hey paul how you doing you bastard you talked about something that i contributed <laughs> Paul, why don't you tell the folks at home, if they hate themselves, where they could find more of you to listen to? (laughs) 
Well, well, so many things. Uh, I have a, a show <laughs> network show network I do with my friend Mike Garvey called uh, Waiting for Doom. We, I mean, we don't refer to it as a network very much, but it is technically a network. And on that, we have a number of shows, a number of fine, fine shows, much better than this one. And, you know, many of your fans, well, the discerning, you know, smart ones, listen to my shows as well. So I just, uh, you know, hello, everyone. Well, keep in mind, our, our shows don't run 24 hours a day. So they got to find the other hours of the day to fill it with something. You know, so maybe they yeah. listen to you when they're on the toilet or something. Yeah, well, you know, maybe they just want to have a laugh for once and uh, listen to me. Uh, so <laughs> we do Waiting for Doom, which is about uh, the Doom Patrol. Um, but we talk about things where the Doom Patrol aren't around. We do a lot of waiting for the Doom Patrol. We're talking at the moment, we're talking about Batman, Superman, World's Finest, or Bizwiff, as we call it. Do you know that that's spinning into Batman versus Robin? That we're going to call that Beaver? Um, oh, my gosh. Yep. Anyway, so we'll talk about Bizwith and Beaver soon. Wherever the Doom Patrol appear, we will be there. We're like um, we're like the A team, except instead of solving problems, we talk about Doom Patrol when it comes. Up. <laughs> um, <laughs> what else do we do, Shag? You, you listen to our. Show. You've been on my shows. What do I do? Uh, I you do, do uh, DC OCD when you feel like you've got OCD, but apparently you don't at certain times, so you don't do that all the time. Then yeah, you, no, oh, you like that one. You really think that's great, isn't it? Tell me about it. That was a fantastic show where you went through all the DC crossovers uh, in chronological error. Uh, and I said error on purpose because you got a lot of the, the grades wrong. You graded some of the best ones the you know in the not right places. But anyway. That's okay. You said um, issues instead of pages earlier in the edit. I probably I did. I probably you're did. You're going to realize that when you come back and listen. And I'm just going to leave it because I don't care after doing this for six yeah. years. <laughs> and it'll make this joke work at the end when I point it out to you. But, I mean, honestly, you were talking too much to interrupt. You know, when I, you hear someone make a mistake. You think, I'm just going to correct them, but they just keep gabbing on, and you just oh, it's gone. That moment is past. Yeah, um, yeah. So a DC OCD, it's about DC events. We do them all in order. We score them, we rate them, we rank them, we put them in a ladder and a table, and we say this is the best one and this is the worst one. And most people disagree with us. Uh, most people don't. I don't know. Who That's cares? because you you rank death metal too high. That's the problem. Yeah, well, I mean, everyone agrees about the bottom of the list, I think. But that is the fair. Top of the list That's fair. Can be contrary. Well, I mean, George Perez is heavily represented at the top, and I think everyone's happy with that. Yes. Uh, we do the Gary show where we just, it's like all the bits where I wasn't talking about anything important put together with Mike <laughs> and I just talking. It's, <laughs> it's a delight. <laughs> the New York Times calls it one of the greatest podcasts ever made. And what's the other one? Dial F for Flanger. Dial yep. F for Flanger. You know, everyone knows what a Flanger is. If you want to dial F for one, this is where you can. And that's, I just talk about stuff with you know, people. And it's like I, I talk to my cool friends uh, about stuff. So have you been on that show? I have yeah. not yet. No, because uh, apparently I'm not cool. Uh, okay. So yeah, we just chat about stuff. Um, if you're a real friend, you'd invite me. Yeah, okay. Or if you're a real friend, yeah. we were supposed to record Justice League Europe and Dial F for Flying Her back to back, but that didn't happen. That's behind the curtain stuff. Like <laughs> people, people don't want to know how the sausage is made. Uh, <laughs> Could you just say goodbye already? Poor, <laughs> poor Ryan is just sitting here waiting for you to shut up so we could finish the show. <laughs> <laughs> you want to make something of it? Is that what we did? <laughs> Thanks for being here, Paul. I really appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Pretend Ryan's here. Do some editing. All right, folks. That is going to do it. Now, come back next episode. We cover Justice League America number 49 and Justice League Europe number 25. And we'll have two more guest hosts to help me cover the issues. Who will they be? Come on, people. You know how this works. You're just going to have to wait and find out next episode. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time, I'm Shag. And I'm Ryan. And I'm Paul. And you've been listening to the JLI podcast. Want to make, make something, something of it? it?